Keep pounding on him, Giant. Wait a minute, Don't wait a minute. Up. Pillman, it looks like Brian Pillman down at... Hold on, I'm going down. Oh, get him. Get him there. And hold on, I just got word. I tell you what, we're live here. We just got word. Dennis Rodman suspended for six games, fined $20,000 for a headbutt. Like Dennis Rodman is getting ready for Uncensored. You've seen him before at WCW Pay-Per-Views. Don't be surprised if Dennis Rodman isn't hooking up with Hulk Hogan. And he's a very... Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to March of 1996, Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1 is your WWF show looking at WrestleMania. Volume 3 is your ECW show looking at Big Ass Extreme Bash. We're here for Volume 2 looking at WCW, including Uncensored. like to welcome, firstly, Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, good evening. Hello there, Bob. And a return of Del Muir. Del, hello. Hi, Bob. Nice to be back. Uh, Del, kick us off with the news. Yep, starting off with Kevin Nash this month, Bob, formerly known as Diesel in the WWF. He's going to be joining WCW after handing in his notice in New York. That was at the beginning of the month, confirming to Vince McMahon that he would be joining Ted Turner's Atlanta outfit. Depending on what report you read, there is offers on the table for Nash from WCW were somewhere between $450,000 to $750,000 a year. The news his salary hasn't gone down well, though, with some in WCW. Apparently, funnily enough, Hulk Hogan has been vocal. The money he thought would have been better spent on either Yokozuna or the Ultimate Warrior. To make room for the salaries of both Nash and likely Scott Hall, WCW nearly released the Nasty Boys before Johnny B. Bad formally left the company. Bad's contract expired in February, and while it said that there was a new contract on the table, things could not have worked out between him and Eric Bischoff. It said that Bad, a Christian, was uncomfortable with the angle with Kimberly Page and got heat with Bischoff after missing an event with WCW racing driver Steve Grissom. There were rumblings that the Nasty Boys had also been released, but that ended up not being the case. There are talks of further cuts of WCW attempts to balance their roster salary. And WCW presented their second uncensored pay-per-view this year, and one that certainly was near step down from 1995's craziness. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, the Mega Powers, they defeated eight men, that's eight, in the Doomsday Cage match main event. And despite advertising them for much of the week prior, Brian Pillman did not appear in the show. Elsewhere in the card, Booker T and Sting defeated the Road Warriors in a Chicago street fight. Conan retained his US title against Eddie Guerrero, and there were also wins for the Giant, the Belfast Bruiser, the Booty Man, and Colonel Robert Parker who defeated Medusa in WCW's first man versus woman match. Brian Pillman did appear on two editions of Nitro this month. However, his future is still unclear. What we do know is that he quit ECW, having worked some of their shows early in March. He fell out with them over the ECW hotline, along with other overall direction of his character. It's said that Pillman is still under contract with WCW, but with it expiring next month, both parties are significantly far apart on a price. He was being advertised in a week leading up to the pay-per-view and was even mentioned by name on the show, but didn't appear. 
And surprise, surprise, there's been yet more frustration backstage with Hulk Hogan recently, including his decision to turn the originally planned four on one main event and an eight on two match. Also causing issues is Hogan's frequent change in the booking decisions in general and the fact that WCW have been doing strong house show numbers without him or Randy Savage. Elsewhere, Cactus Jack, who will be de- uh, debuting in WWF in April, is apparently suing WCW after the incident a couple of years ago where he lost his ear in Germany to Vader. And we finish with the ratings news for the month. Nitro didn't air on March the 4th. Raw did a 3.6 rating unopposed with both Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart in action. On March the 11th, Nitro headlined by Hogan, Savage and Booty Man against Flair, Anderson and Taskmaster did a 3.2 to Raw's 2.9, Raw with Undertaker and Yokozuna against Bulldog and Owen Hart in the main event. March 18th saw a big win for Nitro, 3.6 to Raw's 2.9. Nitro was headlined by Hogan and Savage against Flair and Taskmaster, Raw by Bret Hart and Tatanka. Nitro, coming off of Uncensored, won the final week, also with a 3.1 rating, headlined by Flair against Giant, against The Raw, for WrestleMania coming out with a 2.8. In terms of average rating since the start of September, when they both started running live up against each other, Nitro is averaging a 2.7 to Raw's 2.6. You know me, Gene, we've been hunting the road warriors for four years now, and we left the United States... Because we were waiting for the Road Warriors to wrestle us. Well, now that we're in WCW, we're coming here for the Road Warriors. And the way you won tonight, Road Warriors, is a disgrace. Well, you remember this day. Wait a minute, Scott. I'm going to interrupt you. Because I... you set the tempo. You set the tone. And the way I see it, you have a problem with us. It starts with us and ends with us. Okay, the point I'm trying to make, the Nasty Boys, as you know, originally scheduled here, and all of a sudden you guys come in on a pair of Harleys. I mean, this was a little unexpected. I didn't know anything about it. Like I said, me and Gene, we came where the competition was, and it's right here in WCW. Road Boys, you haven't seen the, right, the last of us. All right, uh, Rick, I hope you're gathering yourself. You took a, a decent shot there. Hey, we come here to wrestle, to do what we do best. What do they do? Bring something in the ring to hit me with it. What is that? Well, I don't know what it is, but I'm certain it's something that is going to be addressed by officials here at World Championship this Wrestling. This ain't the end, Mean Gene. This ain't the end. Nitro was preempted on March the 4th, but we do take a rare trip to WCW Saturday night on March the 9th. They're on location in front of a crowd of over 3,000 people. Johnny Bad is defending his television title against Lex Luger. Luger nearly wins it with a pin using the ropes, but the ref stops it. Luger kicks out of a sit-out powerbomb before Diamond Dallas Page walks out onto the aisleway, chatting with Jimmy Hart. Bad launches himself over the top rope for a plancher onto Luger. The ref gets another marathon distraction from Hart. Page hits the diamond cutter, rolls Bad into the ring, and Luger comes in to win the US title. Nitro returns on March the 11th. During the entrance of the Giant, ahead of his match with Jim Duggan, Eric Bischoff asks if we can, if we wonder why they say this is where the big boys play. Well, you said it first, Eric. Bischoff somehow spots Brian Pillman at ringside. Fans in the crowd have signs saying, Call Brian, 1-900-288-PILL. 
Pillman gets escorted away by security. Apparently the deal was they were trying to work as many people as possible, including the cameraman who weren't in position for the spot, which kind of ruined the whole thing. Uh, Duggan wraps his uh, hand in duct tape, uh, tops the giant down, but Jimmy Hart provides a distraction for long enough for the giant to recover and hit a choke slam for the win. This was surprisingly long, coming in about seven minutes. We come back from the break for what should be the Nasty Boys, but instead it's the Steiner Brothers. They're facing the Row Warriors. The exchange between Scott Steiner and Hawk in the opening few minutes is very physical. The Row Warriors hit a doomsday device on Rick. Scott breaks up the pin. Scott hits a lovely Frankenstein on Animal, but Gat gets broken up too. Predictably, the match ends with Animal hitting Rick with the Row Warriors spiked padding for the win. This was a very good match. New WCW Television Champion and one half of the Tag Team Champions, Lex Luger, is out defending his title against Alex Wright. They air an advert promoting the WCW hotline with me, Gene Oakland and Bobby Heenan following various WCW stars around trying to get scoops. It's quite a cool spot, actually. Jimmy Hart throws Alex Wright off the top rope, enabling Luger to win the match. We get the main event six now with Hogan, Savage and Booty Man against Anderson, Flair and Taskmaster. There's a brawl at ringside between Giant and Loch Ness. This is a lumberjack match. Everyone's wearing red flannel clothing. Lord Stephen Regal is wearing a cravat on top of his. The Diamond Doll is out again with roses. They're saying she has a thing for the booty man. Flair goes after Hogan at one point, which gets a big positive reaction from a large section of the crowd. This is just a brawl. There's a strap involved. The match eventually ends with Hogan dropping the leg. We end the show with comments from Flair, Anderson and Taskmaster previewing Uncensored. We join Nitro on March the 18th with the Giant and Loch Ness brawling at ringside. Loch Ness is meant to be facing Luger. Luger literally does his entrance while all of this is going on like nothing is happening and nothing is any different. After the beating, Loch Ness ends up getting counted out. Jimmy Hart jumps into Luger's arms to celebrate, but Luger looks angry at him. That being said, Luger is still celebrating like he's won the big one. He runs to the commentary area and brags about what a role he's on. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage join Tony Schiavone on the R-way. Hogan says to Savage that he should call him the dirtiest player in the game from now on. Hogan says he likes Uncensored because, and I quote, there aren't no stinking titles on the line. The public enemy are out next. They make a beeline for a table and bring it to the ring for their match against the Steiners. The crowd are into the Steiners and by wrestling standards this is a very strong public enemy match. Eric Bischoff essentially announces Dennis Rodman for the pay-per-view via the news of his suspension. Rocco Rock hits a second rope moonsault, which Eric Bischoff calls a 180 headbutt. Rock lays Rick on the table on the outside. Rock does a Sabu-style running somersault dive for off through the table. With one issue, Rick has moved. The Steiners hit a top rope bulldog to grunge and win the match. Very good stuff, this. The Booty Man comes out to some ludicrous entrance music that you would have heard at the start of the show. Eric Bischoff briefly, briefly mentions John B. Bad being history. He's out to face Arn Anderson. Kimberly walks out in white but meets woman at the, the top of the aisle. Booty Man comes to Kimberly's aid but Arn cuts him off. That works well as Booty Man hits him with a high knee back in the ring and that will do that. The Nasty Boys are out next for their match with the Road Warriors. This starts off life as a two-on-two brawl. Animal strikes both Nasties with a chair, like a school chair, not a folding one. The brawl continues, continues until the Steiners come out and go after the Nasties. Predictably, the run, running causes a ref distraction. Animal uses part of his walk-on gear, levels knobs with it, and that will do that. Eric Bischoff calls it a three-way war in the WCW Tag Team Division. 
The main event is another tag match, this time an official Tornado tag with Hogan and Savage against Ric Flair and Taskmaster. This is another brawl with the action largely on the outside. Hogan dominates, we get plenty of interaction between him and Flair, mainly the greatest hit stuff. Hogan gets laid out by a shoe but kicks out and hulks up. Anderson comes out and trips Hogan. Brian Pillman comes out in a pair of amazing tie-dye trousers. We get a disqualification, but the brawl continues. Zeus and Jeep, who are both very big, are, at, are come out as Jimmy Hart's insurance policy. The heels take it in turn to cut promos on Hogan ahead of Sunday. Flair says to Savage, once he's put him in the hospital, he will bring Miss Elizabeth to see him. And we will jump straight into, well, the evening of Uncensored, at least. We'll start with main event in a second. Uh, the first thing I want to mention now, you may remember me on last month's uh, show, uh, kind of laying down a challenge to myself almost of trying to work out the number of WCW tag team title matches in the last two and a half years um, that have ended in a screwy finish. Um, we're not going to do it now, but I thought I'd lay the seed now and also get Dallin Wayne thinking about it because we'll, we'll come to it at the end of the show. Um, but to keep in mind, I have calculated there have been 20 WCW tag team title matches on clashes or pay-per-views that we have covered since August of 1993. And the question for Dallin Wayne at the end of the show is going to be what percentage of them ended in a unclean finish now the good thing with there being 20 is that percentages work in 5% so I'll let Dallin Wayne stew that over as we go through the show we start uncensored on the main event prior to the show Lee Marshall is standing on the scaffolding next to the four tier steel cage that's actually erected with its own ring next to the staging area this one does need to be seen to be believed we start with the cruiserweight tournament this cruiserweight tournament's a bit weird they, they did some matches on here but as far as I'm aware, I think um, they actually crowned the winner in Japan. Uh, we'll see what happens if that plays out on TV within the next month. Uh, with Dean Malenko against Mr. JL. Malenko blocks a roll-up into a belly-to-back. Malenko does a forward roll into a pin for a two, then follows it with a brutal powerbomb and a brainbuster. Malenko hits a double underhook powerbomb. He then jumps on JL's shoulders, goes for a victory roll. JL blocks it and gets a pin for a three. Up until the finish, that was about as one-sided a match as you're ever going to see. Meiji in Oakland gives a ludicrously non-specific promotion about his hotline tonight. Basically, he wants to mention Diesel by name, but can't. Uh, we then get a promo with Taskmaster and some of the members of the heel team in the match. Oakland wants to know why Flair isn't out there with them. VK Wall Street walks out during the match between Jim Duggan and Big Bubba. Wall Street throws Duggan's 2x4 into the ring for Bubba. Bubba wrestles it, the referee for it. He then uses the distraction... Um, well, sorry... Bubba then uses the, uh, Duggan then uses the distraction to leather him with a tape fist, and that was enough for the win. We get a promo from Hogan and Savage. Hogan says that when you're uncensored, you can bend and break the rules. Savage says the mega powers have made an agreement that they are bad to the bone. Medusa runs out during a match between Alex Wright and Dick Slater and runs Colonel Parker to the back. Slater levels right with his boot, and that's enough for the win. Well, you know, uh, the reason I'm here, you know, WCW wanted to hear from the horse's mouth, you know, why Booker T from the Harlem Heat tagging with Sting, you know. Hey, I'm going to tell you why. Because me and my brother, Stevie Ray, Booker T and Stevie Ray, we are from the street. We are from across 110th Street in Harlem, New York. And hey, the reason I'm here is because in 1995, me and my brother, we laid claim to the World Tag Team Championship belts on four different occasions. And in 1996, we want to just be the first tag team to win it on five different occasions. And Sting, hey, 
it takes you to do that, if you know what I'm talking Have you ever been to Harlem? No, I never. No, I, have you ever been on the street? No, I never. Well, let me tell you, the way, the, the way we did it is when we dropped something about left and right, if you know what I'm talking about, to get those belts four times. And we are going to get it for a fifth time, but it's going to mm -hmm. take you, Sting. You got I'm, your wondering, I'm wondering, yeah. do, it, do you got what it takes? For us to do that. You got your red blood cells moving, don't you? Get a little I ticked off thinking yeah, about the street there in Harlem, I'm aren't you? About, I'm thinking about the yeah. road wars. Well, you be thinking about the road wars. You be thinking about Harlem because I need you to be just the way you're getting right now, pumped up, thinking about the streets in Harlem yeah. and the hard way you grew up. Well, you know something? I became five-time world heavyweight champion here because I've been oh. around the block a couple times oh. jacking suckers like you were jacking suckers on the street. Yeah. I was jacking suckers here at WCW, and that's what we need to do tonight against the Road Warriors. I got into this mess because of that lousy, stinking Jimmy Hart and the legal ties that he's got with Luger, which, by the way, that's legit because I've looked into it. I'm just not sitting back saying, oh, I need another partner, crying the blues. I looked into it. Luger can't do anything about it, and I'm glad you stepped up to the plate. You and I are going to compliment each other because we got the same kind of strength and agility, so we can get the job done against the Road Warriors tonight. Yeah, and speaking about the Road Warriors, me and my brother, we would be five-time world champions if it wasn't for the Road Warriors and a 50-pound lead piece of pipe they hit my brother, whatever it was. But look here, the Road Warriors, they're a tough team. But the bottom line is this. After we do them, do me and my brother get first shot at you? I'll, yes, I'll say it on national TV. I'll cut you off right yeah. there. Yes, you and your brother get a shot at those world tag titles. Okay. We get an interview with Sting and Booker T ahead of their tag match of the Road Warriors tonight. Booker T says the Heat won the tag titles four times in 1995 and it's going to take the help of Sting to make it five in 1996. Sting says he and Booker can compliment each other tonight. He says that if they get the job done, Harlem Heat will get the first shot at the titles. We then get the Nasty Boys versus the Steiner Brothers in the main event of main event. This is a tornado tag match. Scott hits a double clothesline off of the top and the Steiner's clean house. Nobbs hits a power slam. Sags drops an elbow from the top. Scott breaks it up. The Steiner's hit a doomsday device on Sags. The match ends, I think. Then the Road Warriors storm out and the six-man brawl breaks out. We end the main event with the members of the Alliance to end Hulkamania on each level of the cage. Luger says this is one last deed he does for Jimmy Hart. That's it. Are you move on to the pay-per-view? Dal, you can kick us off with the results. Yeah, starting off first of all, we've got the WCW US title. It's Conan who defeated Eddie Guerrero to retain. The Belfast Bruiser defeated Lord Stephen Regal by disqualification. Colonel Robert Parker defeated Medusa in an intergender match. The Booty Man defeated Diamond Dallas Page. And the Giant defeated Loch Ness, formerly known as Giant Haystacks, to listeners for the UK. Sting and Booker T defeated the Road Warriors and the Mega Powers, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, defeated the Alliance to end Hulkamania, which involved Ric Flair and Anderson, Meng, the Barbarian, Lex Luger, the Taskmaster, Z Gangster and the Ultimate Solution. And they were accompanied to the ring by women, Miss Elizabeth and Jimmy Hart. And crucially, not uh, as those CW advertised uh, throughout the week, Brian Pillman, Brian or, Pillman. Or, or indeed Dennis Rodman, uh, who was mentioned, I think, or at one stage, right, Eric Bischoff did basically imply on Nitro he was going to be at the show. He did not. Good couple, of, good couple of weeks prior, you're right enough, no show for D-Rod. Wayne, what do you think of this show? And uh, it, it started off um, 
okay and say it was it was great. You know, I liked a bit of uh, Eddie and Conan, and, and and obviously we got a really stiff match after that. But once those two matches were out of the way, it took one hell of a nose dive. And uh, for me, this is probably one of the. And it's, we've said it a, a few times, but this is actually probably one of the worst uh, pay per views I've, I've I've seen from WCW. No. Oh, I have missed this world of WCW. We've got yet another gimmick for Brutus Beefcake, Big Brother, Brother Brutai. We've got giant haystacks just turning up in the middle of it. Hogan just up to his usual in the main event. Oh, I'm glad to be back, Bobby. Yeah, um, I, I didn't hate this show as much as everyone else did. Um, it is a, it's a three and four show in the sense that there's three really good matches and four Absolutely abhorrent matches um, <laughs> is probably the, the cleanest way I can describe it at the stage in the show. But I've certainly seen worse WCW pay-per-views. And I think a lot of people are saying, you know, Wayne kind of alluded to it in part, a lot of people are saying this is the worst pay-per-view ever, slash the worst pay-per-view WCW ever put out. Um, I, I, I will champion Bash at the Beach last year to the hills when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, this main event is something else. Um, we, we, we will come to that later in the show. Um, we're in Tupelo, Mississippi. Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes and Bobby Heenan have the calls. Dusty says Hogan needs to survive this to carry on into the 90s. But seeing three <laughs> years ago saying bring WCW into the 90s, it's 96, Dusty, come on. Um, the caged area, I think I said it was four. It's actually only three levels of the caged area. I think it was three levels and four tiers, if you can imagine such an architecture. Um, I'm not sure that makes sense. There's actually there's two blocks in the middle. Um, essentially side by side. There's like three different horizontal levels, if you like. Um, but it does make for quite a cool look on the entrance way. Wrestlers have to kind of walk around it and underneath some scaffolding that they've erected to hold the thing together. So that looks quite cool. Uh, we open up with Eddie Guerrero against Conan for the WCW United States title. Conan starts with an arm submission. Guerrero fights out, but Conan drag- arm drags him back into the mat. Guerrero hits an arm drag of his own, flips to his feet. Guerrero tries some funky, something funky with a handstand, then does a figure four, but Conan grabs the ropes. We get a complicated exchange of pin attempts. Conan shoots for a knee bar, then turns it into a single leg Boston Crab, then a high angle two legged Boston Crab. The action speeds up in front of a silent crowd with some quick arm drags. The pair square off and exchange slaps and shoves. Finally, a bit of noise from the crowd. Guerrero hits a Hurricane Rana off the top for a two. He then locks in a camel clutch. We get chance of both men after a standoff. We then get a series of nice arm drags from Conan. Guerrero locks in a long rest hold. Conan escapes to the outside. Guerrero climbs to the top, but Conan flees harm's way. Guerrero lands on his feet after a monkey hit flip, then hits a lovely flying head scissors and gets a flying crossbody in from the top to the outside. Guerrero hits a Hurricane Rana for a two. Conan hits a razor's edge into a power bomb. Conan sits on the top rope. Guerrero follows him, and then just fling. Then Conan just flings him to the outside before going for a suicide dive, which Guerrero half seems to block. We return to the top. Eddie hits a superplex, and they're both out on the mat. Conan kicks out of a pin. Guerrero goes for a Thez press. Conan apparently low blows him, uh, and he gets the win. Conan helps Eddie to his feet, but Eddie doesn't want to know. The replay shows that Conan really didn't do anything wrong at all, but they are trying to sell that as an unclean finish. Del, what do you think? Um, uh, it's, it's a strange start. I mean, it's uncensored, and you're just starting off with 
probably the match of the night, to be fair, but it's just a, a standard in-ring contest. Um, pretty decent match, Eddie. I love seeing him over the last kind of, 18 year, uh, 18 months, sorry. He's just a, a, a really good, really good in-ring performer. It kind of seems strange. It's probably something I'll come on to later in the night as well when you ran through that main event card when you've got the likes of Dean Malenko in there. Why is, why are some of the matches on this card? But this certainly wasn't the, the worst offender. Conan's a bit of an odd fit, I think, for WCW. You see him, kind of big guy, not really much kind of on screen character to him compared to the, the charisma that you see just using at Eddie Guerrero, but he's kind of a big guy, good look. Pretty decent match, strange ending as you say, I don't know what the kind of low blow idea was, there's a couple of endings that they kind of messed up camera wise in the show, this was not the the worst of them, but dare I say it's a, it's a pretty decent start if not a bit long. Why? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, Dell, I'd, I'd, I'd hold off on, on trying to book people onto being on the uh, on, on the show, you'll, you'll end up sounding a bit like me. Um <laughs> But, uh, no, the, the match, you know, I was excited about it. You know, you, you always know what you're going to get with, uh, with Eddie Guerrero and, and getting him to, um, to see what he was going to be like against Corn. And, you know, I was quite anticipating, um, you know, a good, uh, a, a good showing. Um, you know, I think the, the, the crowd spoiled the start of it. Um, I mean, I myself knew what was, was going to be the end game of, uh, of, of, of this match. You know, we were going to get something that was going to be faster paced than, than what it was to start off with, but, uh, and, you know, with it being quite slow and a lot of mat wrestling, you know, it did seem like the, uh, that the crowd was, uh, was dead for the first five minutes of it, but, you know, they soon come alive and, and obviously the, the pace of the match also, uh, improved. Um, the, the flow of, of, of these two, um, did seem a bit rough, I thought, but, uh, you know, that, yeah, I thought it could have been, uh, you know, a better, a better, a better showing. But I mean, that's me just being critical. I think the the one gripe I have got about this match overall is it's the only title match of the show, and we're opening with it. I thought it was it was a bit strange, but we've we've seen that with with Sting in the in the past when he was US champion. So uh, not, you know, I, I shouldn't be that surprised by it. Wayne, is it on the wrestlers to? Is it on the crowd for the quiet start, or is it on the wrestlers? Because mm. cause I've always been in the belief that if the crowd's quiet, that's the wrestler's fault, not the crowd's yeah. fault. Yeah, but on, on 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 the flip side, you know, you've got to you you you've, you've got to start off at a, a point um, and then build up to to the faster pace. If, you know, if you're coming out and and you know, they, obviously they're doing all these uh, high flying moves and everything like that to get the crowd up. You know, sometimes the crowd's got to be sat there on the understanding that they know who these guys are and what they're going to get out of it. So when they are doing some, um, you know, when some of the holds that um, Conan had on Eddie Guerrero, why is the crowd not chanting for Eddie's name? He's over. Uh, I don't think that's on the wrestlers. No, that's true. Um, I, 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 okay, the, the, the different way of framing it would be it's on the company and the talent, not on the fans. I mean, I, I've always held the opinion that if a, if a crowd's quiet, that's on somebody that isn't them. Um, I think in terms of, you know, this match, I mean, the, the show's been going over an hour at this point. Um, they haven't had a lot to cheer for in the first hour, but the crowd should be warm. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it, it was a decent match, but it's, it's like I kind of, you know, having seen a lot of WCW opening matches in the last couple of years, 
guys have done far better jobs getting crowds into it in the opening match. You look at, you know, the, the now departed Jeremy Bad, you look at Darwin Dallas Page, uh, you even look at a Brian Pillman type character from last year. It's not like WCW talent that aren't massively showcased have trouble kind of getting crowd engaged in them in the opening match. And these two really struggled. And, and the one thing I thought was that it took them such a long time to realise it. I mean, it may not have been that long, but it kind of felt like the crowd was flat for the first six or seven minutes of the match and they started shoving each other and kind of started picking up the pace. Um, and then it worked a bit better, but the match was odd. And then we get to Dell this finish. I mean, mm. uh, it, it was weird, not only in the sense that it didn't work, but... It, it felt really odd as a presentation because clearly they, the, the announcers were in on the gig about um, Guerrero, the, the finish being a low blow. So when the finish happened, they called it as a low blow. And then we got the replay and you could tell they, they kind of all just went, ah, we, we yeah, we can't call that a low blow. We've seen it before in New York, Bob. If they miss call an ending in a match, they don't show the replay, then they didn't any justice. And this one, when they did, um, listening to the review, if you've read the review in one of the dirt sheets, it makes sense. Conan finishes with a low blow, Eddie loses, doesn't get the bell, Conan wins. Makes perfect sense. When you're watching it, that's when the, the wheels start to kind of fall off a wee bit when you see Eddie just drop onto Conan, and that was apparently a low blow. He must have a hell of a protrusion in his sternum. Yeah. Or his nose. Either or. Maybe a medallion under the singlet, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Wayne, thoughts on the finish? Yeah, I mean, it was quite, uh, it was, it was quite a strange one. I think obviously the replay, uh, ruined it, but, um, it's probably not going to be the only, uh, weird finish that we'll be, uh, that we'll be seeing tonight or commenting on. No, it won't be. I mean, the match itself was fine. Uh, I, I should say that. And while I criticised the wrestlers, you know, they, the, nothing they did in the first few minutes was bad. And, you know, to a point, it is an opening match. And to a point, your your job isn't to burn the crowd out. It's to build them up from a from a slow start. I just kind of felt that when it's so obviously not working, there's probably time to change direction. Uh, anyway, we cut to a clip of the giant. Yes, this, literally the giant sat at a computer talking to some fans on the CompuServe online um, chat, which was a bit of a weird visual. Giant kind of <laughs> chuckling and looking a bit puzzled at some comments. That's the, that's the way to kind of make this seven-foot-tall giant seem supernatural and, and all-dominant anyway. Uh, we move on. It's Lord Stephen Regal with Jeeves versus the Belfast Bruiser, uh, Finley. Uh, Bruiser slaps Jeeves on his way to the ring. This match is England versus Ireland. Bruiser hits Regal with his jacket and we start the match off. We start at a pace. Regal hits some lovely uppercuts. Bruiser responds with a high knee. Regal locks in a chin lock to slow things down after a strong start. Bruiser responds by headbutting Regal's chest. On the outside, Bruiser drops Regal chin first across the guardrail. He then starts working an arm, driving it off the ring post and the top rope. Bruiser hits a power slam and jumps on Regal's, Regal's chest before returning to a chin lock. Bruiser hits a clothesline and almost picks it up. Regal goes for a chair into the crowd, but they're all hooked together. This isn't ECW. Regal blocks an, blocks an apron suplex to hit one of his own, sending Bruiser to the outside. Regal, Regal follows it with an elbow drop to the floor. Bobby Heenan and Dusty Rose try to guess where Ireland is in relation to England. Finley kicks uh, Regal on the outside of his thigh. Inside of his thigh, Regal responds by kicking Finley square in the nuts. Then he flips Regal over and shoots for a Boston Crab. Regal blocks it. 
Regal leans it over by Finley. Bruiser then hits it with it a left, then follows it by driving him back into the fist, into the uh, back first into the apron. Sorry, Regal is bloody by the hard left, and the crowd, the audience, the announcers even reacted to that very, very well. Bruiser, Bruiser leans in over Regal. Regal uses his knees to vault Bruiser to the outside. Regal runs up the R way with Bruiser and throws him into the Doomsday Cage. They return to ringside and Squire, Dave Taylor and Earl Robert Eaton come out and start a three-on-one beatdown on the outside. Regal slaps Bruiser to the ground to end it. Bruiser wins by disqualification. He comes to and charges the three to the back. Wayne? Well, they called this a grudge match to start off with and, and it wasn't wrong. Um, there was no love lost in this. Um, it wasn't a clinic, but you know what it was 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 stiff. Um, I don't mean stiff in a in a hot single match way, but you know it's it's stiff in a in a way where you know they was going out there and and they wanted to give serious damage to. With, I mean the, the the Belfast Bruiser. Um, I lost count how many forearms he he connected with. Um, everything from from start to finish was just. It was it was a brawl. Um, you know we're going to see another brawl later on, but this one um, I, I enjoyed um, quite a lot. And you know I, I did enjoy the last match, but for me, I'd probably say this was my match of the night. I just loved the uh, the back and forth from from these two. And and like I said, you know they just did not hold back. No. In the grand picture of things, Bob, I don't know how much of a difference it would be, but personally, I would probably have started with us and swapped it with a. With the first match, um, the fans, as we said in the first match, were a bit quiet to get into this show. They did come to see something that was uncensored. That is what it was. There's, there's a phrase that, that I would say is called working snug. This didn't even, this didn't even qualify as that. This was just, it was almost like, like watching, watching you and Tom Martin review the, the ultimate fighting championship. It was that, it was that much, yeah. Just an absolute fist fight at times. The, the nose gushing open for Regal was just something else to watch when, when you actually see that happening in this world and you don't see them with their hands over their face for 20 seconds and the camera panning away. You just see Regal turning around and he's just covered in blood. Um, the ending I thought had a place that kind of, for a storyline point of view, it makes sense. These two have been in the back. They've seen Regal struggling a bit. They've come out and said, no, we're going to put this Belfast Bruiser in his place. Get the, get the win, at least on, at least in a kind of pride and dignity point of view for our guy. We're not going to let him go down to this Bruiser. I thought it was a, a decent match. Again, maybe a bit on the lengthy side. It did feel as if it dragged on a wee bit, but as for effort in the ring, you can't kind of fault these two. God love them. They, they battered seven shades of shit at each other. Yeah, they beat the piss out of each other for 17 minutes, um, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a, a match that I think certainly if you're watching Nitro, I, I imagine there's been more build on Saturday night, not that I, I, I watch that all that much anymore. Um, but in terms of, you know, you wouldn't really seen these guys. I think Bruiser did end up wrestling Savage, but I think that was after, uh, after this show. Um, but not the kind of match you needed a lot of context in to get invested in very quickly. I mean, it was one of those where there was, there was such, it was just a fight. Like it wasn't really a wrestling match in the sense that neither guy particularly assumed the babyface role. I think we assume, um, that Belfast Bruiser was kind of by default as he kind of took the beat down on the end. They just beat the piss out of each other. They just, you know, it was just strikes and, and uppercuts and punches and the, the left hand, apparently Regal, Regal's nose was broken following that attack. And he ended up having to go to hospital. Um, but that left hand, I mean, boy, 
um, that shot to the nose. And yeah, a, a disappointing finish, but I'd like to see more of this, and I think I think most people would. We get comment from Jimmy Hart on the Giant. Giant says he's going to tear Ric Flair limb from limb to regain his WCW title. That's that's the following night on Nitro. Uh, we rejoin Mean Gene Oakland, who says a major wrestling superstar may be hanging up the tights to go to Hollywood. That would be Bret Hart, I think. That, that fits into the story I've heard about Bret this month. Uh, we get comments from Loch Ness. He says Hart pulled him out of the Doomsday match, so he's going to take it out on Hart's man, Giant. Oakland makes a comment about Loch Ness's teeth, which goes down well. Nearly 700 pounds of Loch Ness. Gentlemen, come on in if you would, please. This man is going it alone tonight here at Uncensored. No Jimmy Hart. That's all over with tonight. Just you and the Giant. As you know, the winner will be facing the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, tomorrow night on Nitro. Well, Mean Gene, just let me tell you something. That weasel face, Hart, he brought me all the way over across the ocean. A weasel-faced heart? Yes, that's the way I describe him. He promised me a shot at Hogan in the Doomsday match. But with his power of attorney, he pulled me out of the match. Well, let me tell you something, Hart. Tonight, I take it out on your man, the Giant. Because when I drop 700 pounds right across him, he won't get up. This I guarantee you. What happens if you get your hands on Jimmy Hart tonight? Do I dare speculate, Loch Ness? I can't tell you what I'm going to do with him because it won't be allowed on TV. But you can imagine, Mean Gene, when I get my hands on him, he'll know all about it. By the way, I've got to introduce you to my, my neighbor down in Florida. He's a dentist. You'll love this guy. And we move on next to Conroy Parker against Medusa. Parker is suited up. Medusa is wearing the stars and stripes. We get a collar and elbow tie-up and a clean break. He locked up with her! He locked up with her! And he shoved her back into the corner! Yeah, and he broke! Clean! What the hell? He locked up with her! And broke clean! No! Now, one time I did see Oakley got home at 3.30 and has already oh. backdropped him, but I've never seen anybody slammed like that. Oh, Dusty and Bobby are over the moon about that. Parker poses about his strength. Medusa flips him over, and even Medusa seems taken aback uh, about the spot and starts smiling. Parker shoots for an airplane spin. Medusa slides out of it and nearly gets a three. Medusa hits a body slam. Heenan says, There was one time I saw Oakland get home at 3.30am and his old lady backdrop him, but I'd never seen anything like this in my life. <laughs> Parker, Parker gets some advice from Slater and slams Medusa in the ring. Medusa hits a pair of second rope drop kicks. She hits a crossbody from the top and Parker almost lands safely. Back in the ring, she goes for a German suplex. Slater pulls her off of the pin. Then Parker gets on top of her and pins her for the three. Del. Um, oh, where did he start? Um, as well, where did he take the start where, where Mr. Lasko, this, this one in the show started taking a bit of a nosedive. Um, I don't quite know what it is with the Colonel and just fighting women, whether it's Sherry Martell or whether it's Alindra Blaze or Medusa, she's now known. Um, it's a strange setup. I, I'd quite like the, 
the idea of the match. It was short. They never kind of took the the chance of kind of dragging it out too long. They knew what they were going to get. The finish, I thought, in, in theory, much like the, the Conan Guerrero match at the start, again, kind of worked on paper, but again, they just didn't do themselves any favours with the, with the camera angles. You've got, you've got Dick Slater out there, pulls the leg away from Medusa, Parker rolls on in the, on the top here when she loses her pin, he gets his pin. It makes sense, it just wasn't really very well shot. Um, Medusa looks in good form, to be fair to her, but I think for, for a clear athlete of her caliber, I think there's, there's better things to be doing there with her, I think. Why? I, I thought it was, you know, quite a funny start, and, um, you know, even the commentators, Dusty uh, himself, was um, quite enthralled by that uh, by that lockup, and, and so was I. And just seeing them both go at it, and seeing Colonel the Colonel actually attempt a, a lockup um, was um, you know was was really really funny. But then you know it just went downhill, just just like the pay per view itself. That is when the turning point was, just after that, um, and 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 it really did go uh, go downhill. I, I thought. The ending itself, did we really need Robert Parker to go over? I, I don't think so, because I don't think this this feud, if it is a feud, should should carry on. I thought that it should have been there. Done. See Colonel get his uh, comeuppance. He's, he's just been pinned by a woman, and and let's that be that. But you know the fact that uh, that uh, it was a bit of a, a bit of a dodgy finish, and and then he's ended up going over. You know, gets me to where I think that they, they're going to carry it on somehow. I hope not. Um, yeah, I, 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 would, I would second the notion that there is no need for Parker to go over in this spot really at all. I don't particularly think anyone cares. This was the, this was the kind of match that I think the, the announcers seem to enjoy more than probably almost anybody else. Um, it was, it wasn't very long. It was about three minutes long. The, you know, the, the, the genuine smile on Medusa's face when she, you know, Back, backflips Parker, whatever we want to call it, kind of pushes him off, and he does a kind of backward roll. Um, was was a nice moment. Uh, Heenan's line was nice. The commentators' reaction to the lockup was funny. But yeah, I guess it fits into the uncensored stipulation. We're going to do an old guy against the woman, but it's like, come on, I don't know. Maybe. And, yeah. Maybe if I'd seen more of this program, I, I, I don't know that it would have made any difference. It was short. It wasn't very good. The announcers seemed to enjoy themselves, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, Lee Marshall is backstage in front of a chalkboard that seems to attempt to make some tactical sense of the Doomsday Cage match. That card does need to be seen. Uh, he's joined by the Road Warriors. Hawk says he and Animal will remove both of their brain stems. That's Sting and Booker T. Um, whatever that means, anyway. Um, Slambury is going to be lethal lottery. Um, I'm, I've got flashbacks of Battle Bowl. Um, if it is, I may not be on May's WCW podcast. We'll see. Um, happy place, Bob. Happy place. Yes, maybe, maybe. Uh, next up, oh boy. Uh, quick bit of news. Um, we, we covered the Johnny B. Bad story up the top. Uh, this match was meant to be Diamond Dallas Page and Johnny B. Bad. I really wish it was uh it was instead diamond dallas page against the booty man the booty man if you haven't caught up from february is the latest gimmick of ed leslie aka brutus the barber beefcake aka the butcher aka brother brutai aka the man with no name aka zodiac uh, i think that's it 
think so. Uh, Dallas Page comes out with shaggy hair and no jacket. He starts arguing with the fans in the first few rows. They both do turnbuckle poses. Booty Man gets a surprisingly decent female reaction. There's a lot of stalling. Early doors. Booty Man knocks Dallas to the outside. Booty Man grabs an arm and goes for an arm lock. Booty Man then hits her right hand and suckers Page to the outside. They brawl into the R-way, back into the ring. Booty Man drives Page's head into the turnbuckle ten times. The final three went from the top turnbuckle to the second, to the third, and then finally on the mat. Page, Days, stumbles through the middle rope and then over the guardrail into the fans. Out comes the Diamond Doll, well, Kimberly Page. Uh, she is dressed in a cheerleader outfit, wearing the same colours as Booty Man. Booty Man rocks in with a right, then Page gets caught in the ropes and he gets a few more shots in. Kimberly gets on the apron, offering a distraction to Paige. Paige rocks in a chin lock and uses the ropes for leg- leverage. The chin lock lasts absolutely ages. That was so long. Minutes, hours. It, it, took, a, it took a while. Uh, Kimberly says into the camera she's looking for a boyfriend. She climbs onto the apron. Paige kisses her. She slaps him. Booty Man hits the high knee. <laughs> yeah, that was the joke. Yeah, very good WCW. Uh, an actual high running knee uh, wins the match. He and Kimberly kiss at ringside. Wayne, talk us through this. Well, I've been a guest on this show for what just over twelve months, and you, all, all the regular listeners, will probably know that I've not been Johnny Bibbard's biggest fan. But my God, did I miss him? Um, <laughs> I, I missed him so much in this match because. We've seen him in DDP go at it before, and um, you know they, they had. Uh, they, I can't remember which uh, which uh, pay per view it was, but um, at the time I was saying that was a bit too long. But I would have appreciated that a, a lot more than uh, than what I was put through here. WCW, although Johnny the Bad um, has, has has moved on, um, and you've put the boot. Well, he's not to WWF. He's not died. Just just got. Yeah, to- sorry. Moved on with with the company. Sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, even though he's, he's, he's gone to pastures new, um, that does not give you the right to, to put someone who is 10 years, um, past his limited best, um, against someone who's still honing his craft. I can only imagine that the chin lock that you went on, uh, about that was dragged on for as, as long as it was, was because they had nothing else to do during the match. They had all this time to kill. What do we do? We'll, we'll just do this. And DDP himself, you know, as I said, he's, he's on his craft. We've, we've said good things about him in the past. And, you know, he is quite funny in his, uh, in his role. But, you know, the match was, was ruined just for the sheer fact that, you know, unlike the crowd, I can't buy into the booty man. He's been through so many gimmick changes in the past six months that, um, you know, I just can't buy into, uh, into his character at all. And I think the only, um, the only highlight of this match for me was that dive cock up near the uh, near the end. No, I, I've been thinking so hard about trying to get a positive for the booty man. I, I cannot stand Brutus Beefcake. I have never seen any form of appeal, let alone sex appeal in him. This booty man, it, it, it's what's the story here? Is he got? Some kind of leverage on the entire wrestling world. Well, he's, Hulk, he, he's Hulk Hogan's best friend. I think that's even, the, even that's that the deal. Bob, even that, I, I, he's got something up his sleeve. I don't know what the hell. He's got blueprints, or he's got I don't know dirty pictures, or he's got something on somebody. And the man is still making fair play to him. He's still making a living. 
and then I say he's not going anywhere quick, but uh, as, as Wayne said as well, Johnny be bad, please come back, always forgiven. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Page, I thought, looked pretty good, actually, this time, this storyline with, with the money actually being Kimberley's instead of, instead of Dallas's, the, the kind of stripped into the look that he's got where he is just out in normal tights. Now that, that hair's gone a bit wild. He's, he's an old guy, but he's, he's, he's doing pretty decent. The, the stuff with, with Johnny be bad was decent. We did maybe see it a few too many times. A couple of weeks ago, you'd say to us, but you couldn't really see a bad page bad match. I didn't really quite get it at the time after this, I do. Um, I, I don't know, I just do not want to talk about Beefcake anymore. I just cannot find one redeeming feature about the man at all. Yeah, this is going to be three for three on the, on the Ed Leslie hate. Um, this may be the worst match I've covered in this show. I mean, it, uh, that's, that's a difficult claim. There's been some, horror shows, we're going to cover another one in a bit um, but I, I don't think I've ever been more angry watching a match like more just pissed off at why a guy who is as you say Dan, is clearly long past his best and I've never seen him at his best but I can't imagine it was ever that good um, in a 17 minute match <laughs> 17 I mean, this is such a bizarre show. I think in more ways, the, probably the most bizarre thing about the show is how they laid it out. Um, and not only is he getting matches in this situation, he's winning them. He also gets to kiss Kimberly Page, which seems like the best job in wrestling. And look, why is she attracted to him? He's like, I'm he's, certainly not happy about it. Well, that, that, yeah, that as well. But like, he, he's this like 50 year old bloke, whoever old he is. And it's like, what, what? But he's so cute, Bob. He's so cute. Oh, well, apparently. But the match was just shite. I mean, it was like they spent the first five minutes. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I'll say was that unlike the opening match, they did at least try and whip up the crowd and they got a little bit of a reaction. But like, it's just such a bad match. And I know I said last month, probably time to end the dumb Dallas Page John be bad thing. I right, one more match, please. Like, ah, uh, you know what? The weird thing is, is that. Had John B. Bad and Dumb Dallas Page got 17 minutes in this part of the show, this may have ended up being a really good show. I know a lot of the headlines are going to come from the main event, but like a three and a half star John B. Bad, Dumb Dallas Page match in the middle of this show makes this one of the best WCW shows I think we would have covered. In terms of you add in the other three matches, you then end up with a shit show of a main event and two really short bad matches either side of um, uh, uh, of this match here. I think if that happens. This is a really good show. The show I think no dived on this match. Like I kind of checked out really at this point. They kind of got me back in with a tag match later on, but I mean, Dell just awful. I th- I think the most worrying thing, Bob, is when they let somebody like Johnny B. Bad go who. In fairness, I don't see, certainly in the near future, him being a world champion by any means, but when they let somebody like that go, who has put in the time, he's obviously got a bit of ethics in his life, which in this day and age in, in the wrestling business isn't something to be sniffed at with a full situation with him and, him and Kimberly Page, best of luck to him. Um, but I mean, when they let somebody like that go, who's put the work in and they're still rolling out whatever his name is these days, I just don't, I don't get it. And the, the, the worrying fact to you, this is the crowd loved them. 
I won't, I won't go that far. They they were they reacted. I'll give you that, but I don't think they loved him. So far, they, they, they didn't love it. I've got I've got to agree with Dell on this one. That's exactly what I was they thinking during up. the match. They hit that booty right up, Bob. He he was pretty over. What a horrifying thought. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's move on. Uh, we're backstage with Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger. Hart is emotional, saying this is the final night he'll be representing Lex Luger. Hart hands Luger a Luger jacket with Jimmy Hart style and then runs off crying. Don't know where Jimmy Hart gets these jackets made, but fucking hell, they're awesome. This was, this was like a, a multicolored one with like a Luger portrait on the back. It looked excellent. Uh, next up. Loch Ness versus the Giant with Jimmy Hart. Giant opens up with some slaps and chokes him with a big boot. Loch Ness fights back with some strikes onto the turnbuckle, but Giant turns it around. Giant charges at Loch Ness in the corner. Loch Ness moves and Giant goes right over the top to the floor. That cannot have been fun for somebody of his size. I think it was, it was certainly accidental. Uh, Loch Ness drops a big elbow and shakes for a second, but Giant moves. Giant hits a big kick and drops a soft leg drop, and that will do that. Wayne? Oh, um, first things first, I'd, I'd think... Um, Stevie from uh, ECW doesn't need to worry about uh, anyone taking his super kick because that at the end from from the giant wasn't uh, wasn't a pretty super kick. Um, I he think... is seven foot two. I'll I, I give you what like kicking someone that uh, as being someone that big and kicking someone as big as Loch Ness. I I think there is a certain amount of athleticism. It didn't look great in terms of connection. I think it's more a case of perhaps don't do the move. I think the actual, I think what he tried to do he did quite well. It just was never going to be that good. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. Uh, you, you, you always seem to persuade me. I'm, I'm easily <laughs> persuaded by, uh, by, by, by your comments, Bob. Um, I, I think, um, Bobby Heenan said it best himself. Uh, we, you know, we've seen the size of Loch Ness coming down and, and obviously we know the size of, uh, of the giant and, uh, he just called it straight. You know, you're not going to see any wrestling moves and, uh, you know, there was, there was a couple in there, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit of a dud in, uh, in all honesty. I think the ending was, was, was a bit out there. You know, I thought the giant pinching Hogan's finisher was, uh, was, uh, was, was a bit strange. And for it to just end with a leg drop, you know, like I said, only ever used to seeing uh, that happen with, uh, with, with Hogan. Yeah, I, I, I would say there is a 90% chance that was just needs must in terms of yeah. how, how are we going to beat someone like Loch Ness. Um, you know, Hogan and Giant, we, we, we think are friends, so I, 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 sorry, Hogan and Giant, I think we've read reports that they're, they're kind of quite close friends and Hogan is, is part of the reason he's getting such a big push. You know, it's the Andre the Giant thing to a point. Um, but I think there's, I think it's more a case of that was just rather what they, they, they thought was a good way to end the match. Del? I'd, you're a fact, man, Bob. You're into the stats. I genuinely believe this match was shorter than the chin lock in the last one. You're probably by, right. By some way. Um, I don't quite understand the matchup between these two. Um, the Giants USP is he is the Giant. He's the biggest athlete in the world. But then you got somebody in that's like, at least on kind of listening to listening to Tony Schiavone. It's you know enough double the weight of him. So I don't get why you would kind of overthrow that. Um, in fairness to Loch Ness, I must have been about what four or five year old. I've seen giant haystacks as he was at the time at a 
at a live event, the man's scared to be Jesus at him, he's got a presence, he's good in that kind of environment, he didn't really get the chance to, to kind of do that these days, obviously he has getting on it, but it just seemed a strange pair, and I mean, yeah, it makes Giant look, when it goes far as good, but he's beat a man that's legitimately at least five, six hundred pound anyway, um, I don't know, it was a strange setup. it certainly wasn't a, a highlight, I, I can't really kind of make my mind up between this and the last one, what kind of felt more pointless, but it's two big guys in there, at least they managed to get into the ring this month, which was a bonus, at least it wasn't long, God love the giant for, you say, for that kind of attempted flare flop, I think he was trying in the corner, um, I don't think he was trying it. I think I think he was trying to catch himself on the top turnbuckle and overshot it. I think it was just a case of basic physics ruin. In the ring, yeah. To be quite honest, so, um, seven foot two, high center of gravity, hitting the top yeah, rope. It all it's goes. You're not you're not spinning on that turnbuckle and landing in the apron, big man. No matter how hard you try, um, it, it was pretty quick. I don't really see again where it's going, but. It's, it's not the worst, I would say, on the night. No, um, an odd pairing. I mean, Loch Ness referenced in his promo um, earlier on the night that Jimmy Hart flew him out of there to be part of kind of the team in the, in the cage match. Um, we, we did joke about it last month. I've got a feeling they looked at the logistics of the cage and thought this probably isn't going to work this month either, which is probably part of the reason why he wasn't in that match. That would explain why we got this one in the sense that they presumably promised him a pay-per-view payday, so they had to do something. Um, but, but Loch Ness said that Jimmy Hart flew him over the ocean. Does uh, he get the same baggage allowance as me and you? Um, well, he probably has three seats, so he probably gets more. I w- if he's paying for three tickets, I imagine he gets more. Uh, fair enough. Um, yeah, but he must have three, you would think, wasn't you? Um, but yeah, the match wasn't particularly long. It, it, you're right, it's an incredibly odd pairing. It did kind of make Giant look small mm. in that it's not just that Loch Ness is so tall, he's just so vast that, that kind of Giant looks quite thin next to him and it's not the, not the best comparison. The match at least was short enough. The right guy won. Um, it's not to heap praise on the match, it's just to say, if you'd have told me about this pairing a month ago, I probably would have expected something worse, and it was brief enough where it wasn't anything worse than I imagined. Anyway, we get a, book, uh, a promo from Booker T and Sting, and we move on to the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, versus Booker T and Sting in a Chicago street fight. I don't know exactly why they pulled Luger from this match, Um a lot of the stuff depends on, because it wasn't particularly built much this match, as in Booker T and Sting teaming on the TVs. Uh, we know from what we read in the news and kind of what I read of reading around that beforehand that Hulk Hogan made a change to um, the stipulation of the match uh, from a four-on-one to the eight-on-two main event. I think Luger wasn't in the original plans. It would have certainly been Taskmaster, Flair and Arn. Uh, with the fourth guy presumably being Brian Pillman. I, I assume that would have been the original plan, so I don't know that Lugo was in the original plan for that match. Um, 
But anyway, he was pulled from that and we got Booker T and Sting in the Chicago Street Fight. It did at least lead to the nice kind of idea that Luger talked himself and Sting into a Chicago Street Fight and then got out of it. There was at least that. Uh, we, we start the match during the introductions. All four men are going after it in a brawl. Booker hits a nice mafia kick to Hawk, then rounds him into the ring post. Animal hits a ten punch on Sting. Booker T levels Animal with a lovely scissors kick, but only gets a two count. Animal returns it with a power slam for a two. Sting crotches Animal on the ring post. They're all brawling at ringside. We go to split screen. Booker T piles rise Hawk on the floor. Hawk then pops up and clotheslines him. Booker responds with another big kick. Back in the ring, Animal low blows Booker T. Booker shoots for an armbar. Sting wanders up the way and grabs a steel chair. Animal takes a couple of shots near the cage and Hawk takes one off the back uh, off the back and off his head. Booker T hits a jumping sidekick on Animal. Sting pile drives Hawk but once again pops straight back up. The pace of the match slows down at this point. All four men are on the outside but the action is more deliberate. Booker hits Animal with a series of kicks in the midriff. Sting goes for a Stinger splash but Hawk moves. Animal sets a move off the top, but Booker T saves the day by crotching him. They revisit the spot where Sting bounces off of the ropes, dazed, and lands and headbutts Animal in the crotch. Animal hits a reverse kick, low-blowing Sting. Sting goes for a flying splash from the top, but can only meet the map. Hawk comes off the top, and Booker T meets him with a high-angle drop kick. Sting and Booker T, who have been working together very well all match, take down Animal with a double clothesline. Sting crotches Hawk on the top rope and rattles the top rope around. Booker T goes for a big kick but misses and crotches himself on the top. Sting and Animal exchange guardrail shots. Sting flies off of the top. Animal captures him into some form of power slam. Hawk goes out to Booker on the outside and Booker DDTs it. The pace of the match is very plodding now. In the ring, Sting and Animal go into a double clothesline. Booker T hits a jumping sidekick but doesn't have the energy to go for a cover. Sting takes a chair shot to the back for Animal. Animal goes for a clothesline. Sting ducks and hits, uh, his arm hits the ring post. Sting responds with some chair shots. Booker flies over the top. Hawk catches him with the top of a chair and then a short over, uh, then hits a short over his back. Sting disappears, then returns, not with Animal. Uh, with not Animal, walks into, a, so I'll try it again. Sting disappears, then returns with Not Animal, walks into a trap with Stevie Ray and Lex Luger. They knock Animal out and tape into a post. This is backstage. Animal kind of wandered off. Uh, back in the ring, it's just Sting and Hawk. Sting, uh, Sting has found a second wing. He goes for a Stinger splash, but on the guard rail, but Hawk moves. Booker returns and slams him into the ring steps. Booker T goes for the Harlem hangover, but Hawk moves. Steve Ray comes out and loads the Hawk with a chair. Booker T pins Hawk, and it's all over. I'll now repeat what I was saying towards the end there that I completely balls up. Sting and, Sting and Animal kind of head to the back. Uh, they disappear behind the scaffolding into the back. Sting then returns on his own to kind of continue the attack two on one in the ring, and then we then cut backstage, and Luger's kind of. I think that the idea was it was going to be meant to be in his dressing room, but it was far too big for that. Um, but Animal walks into an attack with Luger with Stevie Ray, uh, and they end up taping Animal to this kind of beam in Luger's dressing room, wherever they were. Um, this wasn't played on TV, so Sting again can't see Luger helping him win the match. Um, and we then turn to the action, and even with the 2 one advantage, we still need an interference from Stevie Ray. Del, what do you think? Very, very, very plodding. Um, I don't... It was a really strange show so far. It, you kind of seem to be getting like two, three-minute matches and then like a 20-minute match. 
a two three minute match and then like a twenty match. It, it's I don't know. These are this the was the better part of thirty for what that's worth. Was it that long? Yeah. I'd have maybe given them a bit of service with the 20 minutes of maybe kind of made it sound as if it went quick and I don't think it was near enough for half hour. Um, it's the, it's the little things in wrestling that make a difference for me. Um, me and you spoke about it in part one. Bob with WrestleMania, Rowdy Roddy Piper turns up to a, a Hollywood backlot brawl. In essence, a street fight. He turns up with a leather jacket and a pair of jeans on. This wasn't a street fight. For me, you get the Road Warriors out just as they always look. You get Sting and Booker, who I still cannot make sense out of the pairing between them. I think the two of them would be far better served working as, working as singles guys, or certainly Booker with his brother. Um, again, a, a kind of weird setup to the match. The, the fact that it was a street fight that wasn't really a street fight didn't really make much sense. The, the bit backstage, as you say, with Luger, I mean, it wasn't entirely dissimilar to, uh, to WrestleMania 10 with Savage and Crush, the kind of end of that. Um, it was strange. I mean, these, I don't know how many years I've been moaning on this show now about Sting and his, his underutilisation. We're in the middle of 1996 nearly now and we're still not getting who Sting should be. Sting is probably the most consistent worker this company has had for the last five, seven, eight years. And he still just threw in matches like this that, as you say, don't really have a story going into them. I can't imagine there have been much of a story coming out of it. It's good to see the Road Warriors, I suppose, when again happen back to the main event. You've got the Steiners are here, the Nasties are here. We've got that, I don't know, it was just strange and it's far too plodding for my line. Why? Yeah, uh, same as Del really. I thought it was just too long and, and, and drawn out. You know, if you, you made it a lot shorter than what it was, probably cut it down by about 15 minutes, then, you know, we, we probably would be talking about a different match altogether. But, like you say, I think it was 29 minutes it was, uh, it was on FOSS. So, uh, I mean, it just seemed a, a lot of, um, the, um, stuff that they was, uh, that they was doing was, was repeated, um, a, a few of the times. Um, you know, it didn't really seem that there was any storytelling, but then again, you know, you're not going to see much, uh, much telling of uh, of a story in, a, in in any kind of uh, uh, street fight. Um, if I could compare it to to one match I've I've, I've seen lately, that'd be the the Pitbulls and and the Eliminators. Um, and what they did, you know, they were taking it into the crowd. Um, they, they, they wasn't really in the ring a, a whole lot of the time. Um, and that kind of match probably. Um, belongs on a on an ECW style um, pay per view, but to me, I, I, you know, I don't think it it, it deserves um, to to be on a on a WCW pay per view, even if it is uh, you know an uncensored match. If it's like there, there was nothing, there was nothing about it. There was it was just it was just a brawl. There was there was no actual street fight. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, the screwy finish at the end, you know, as you said, we're probably going to touch on it later on, how many, how many Sorry, Wayne, tag match, screwy finish, WCW. Exactly. Let, let's not, let's not preempt the results of the quiz at the end. Let's just, let's not, let's not influence listeners. In, have you, have you just noted that one down, Del? Have I just, I must be getting an in here, yeah. like 10-15% now, I think, Wayne, I've, I've got bad feelings about us. Ah, damn. <laughs> I thought I was going to win that one. Well, it's, it's <laughs> worth saying that in the result, in the kind of spirit of the question, it is tag title matches only. Um, so this match wouldn't apply. Um, call me a mug. I really like this match. 
Yeah, you're a mug. Thank you. Um, where to begin? Um, there were certainly some negatives. There was a, a, about nine or so low blows during this match, which is a lot, street fight or not. Um, but I, I thought a lot of the perceived negatives of this match really fit it. Like the idea that the match slowed down because predominantly Hawk and Animal were blown up at about the 10-11 minute mark made sense. But it made sense in the match context. The fact they just went at it so hard in the first 10 minutes, you couldn't, you can't criticise them for not being able to keep up this kind of frantic pace. I've seen matches before which people, you know, credit these great 25-30 minute matches, but they never slowed down. Like, you might call it a criticism that they, they, they ran out of energy, but it made sense. Um... It was a, I don't want to call it a logical brawl, but it was a fun match to watch, I thought, in terms of the different stages of it. Um, one thing neither of you two mentioned was, well, one, just how Sting and Booker T coexisted as a tag team, the two very talented guys. Wayne, I thought this was a standout night for Booker T. I thought he shone on this show more than anyone else did. Oh yeah, definitely. It's, um, I mean, that, that's probably what, one of the one of the things that w- was taken out of this was uh, that he can go alone without without his brother. I think I mentioned it qu- quite a few months ago. Um, it might have actually been Bash at the Beach. I can't remember, but you know, Booker is quite young, and if they, if they're going to do something something with him, you know, they, they probably have got a, you know a, a star on their hands. Dell. And as you said at the start, Bob, we were unfortunate not to see Dennis Rodman this month. I think if there was an MVP award, you have to wait right, Booker T, hands down. Yeah, um, yeah, the, it was probably a bit long. I think this match could have been 23, 24 minutes and it wouldn't have been any better or any worse than the extra five minutes that it was given. The finish, I quite like, well not no, not the finish, the setup with Animal getting drawn backstage, I thought that that's playing into the longer term thing they've got with kind of Luger arranging kind of tag title victories, um, Luger arranging tag title match finishes so that Sting and he can win the match, or in this case not, because, you know, he is using his heel tactics and Sting doesn't know it. I quite like that, that's going somewhere. There, yeah, the finish was a bit soft, a uh, kind of a, a softish chair shot ahead, at the end of a match where there were a lot of chair shots. It was a bit of a flat ending, um, but I really liked this match. You know, this is like it's one of those things where I think a lot of the negatives of the match actually fit the match. Like a lot of the, the fact that it went so slowly fit the story they were telling. Um, and yeah, like I think one thing we're not really going to talk about this month, but is the now seemingly very strong depths of the WCW tag team division. We had mm-hmm. we had the Steiners back into the equation, and we'll discuss those guys um, later on. With the Nasty Boys, with Sting and Luger, with with Harlem Heat, with the Road Warriors, with the Public Enemy. There's half a dozen like really exciting tag teams there. Um, Dell, any more thoughts on that? I think you've probably been overly kind to the match, but that positive finish with us kind of blossom and tag division. We've spoke about ECW certainly over the last year, 18 months, where that's really been a an undervalued point of that company's selling point. WCW might be on to something. Let's just hope they use the teams that they've got and they actually give them the, the right contests, the right kind of time, the right kind of pairings, and they could be on to something. You're quite right. Michael Buffett is on hand for the introduction of the main event. 
It's the alliance to end Hulkamania. Ric Flair, Iron Anderson, Leng, Meng, the Barbarian, Leng. Lex Luger, Meng, the Barbarian, the Taskmaster, the Gangster, and the Ultimate Solution with Jimmy Hart, Woman, and Miss Elizabeth versus Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Uh, I think they even mentioned, yeah, she only does mention Pillman by name as the match starts, um, but he never shows up. Dennis Robin wasn't mentioned on the show, nor was he there. Um, this is a three-tier cage match. They've got the, they've got basically a second ring set up where the staging area would be. Um, then the first tier, which is kind of by far the tallest, you know, kind of envelops the ring. And then you've got two tiers uh, above that. The first one is kind of, oh, sorry, the, the second level is kind of in two blocks. And the top one, which is where the match starts, um, is kind of one, just one full tier. Um, we start the match with uh, Hogan and Savage going in with Arn and Flair on the top one. Then on the second level is the Barbarian and Meng um, in the first bit. In the second bit of the second level is Taskmaster and Luger. And as it stands at the start of the match, the Gangster and the Ultimate Solution weren't out there. Um, they never explain the rules of the match at <laughs> any stage. It just didn't. Uh, there was no explanation as to what the concept was, why we should do it, what what what, what the uh, what the goal was, um, what the tiers were for, or anything. This um, is a four-tier cage, Bob. These yes. two are going to have to battle their way through all of these alliance to end Hulkamania. That was that. Yeah. I will present this match as we watch it and then we'll critique how it came off in a minute. We start at the top of the cage, Hogan and Arn and Savage and Flair, the other guys are on other levels. Shivoni asks where Pillman is and where the ultimate solution and the gangster are. Even Shivoni didn't know. Anyway, Hogan strangles Flair on the supporting beam, which is kind of running down the middle. Uh, it is worth saying, when we say on the level, it wasn't particularly well supported floor, so they couldn't really do anything. They were just—it was like walking around. I don't really know. It was like walking around on a, on your, uh, on the side of an ordinary cage in the sense that you planted your foot and there was nothing supporting you really. Um, you know, in the sense that you couldn't really do any big power moves because the the floor wasn't kind of supportive enough. Uh, Arn Rams. Um, Savage's head into the cage. Flair chops Hogan, but that just enrages him. Flair locks in a chin lock. Arn gets a figure four in on Hogan. Flair gets in one in on Savage, and both faces turn it over. Flair passes something metallic down to the next level. Hogan and Savage have some powder, which immobilises Flair uh, and Anderson, which essentially eliminates from the match. They climb down into the first pod of the second level and then shut the trapdoor hatch. Uh, on level two, uh, Luger and Taskmaster, the Barbarian and Meng. Uh, both Hogan and Savage are at number two on one. Savage seems to have the number of face of fear on, on, on the enough face of fear until they double headbutt him. I think essentially the idea was was they, they were going to have two separate compartments. So they got down there and the door was open. Hogan then manages to lock the door, keeping both Meng and Barbarian out of the action, meaning it's two on two on the second level. This, to be fair, uh, is a good move as Arn and Flair have to come out but cannot get down. So that's kind of interesting as they don't carry on in the match, at least not for a while. Hogan and Taskmaster bust out of the cage and Taskmaster hangs off the side of the scaffolding, which is propped up predominantly, I think, with the cameramen as much as anything else. Uh, that was probably the highlight of the match. Woman is freaking her uh, for her real-life husband not to fall from the scaffolding. Savage is battling Luger inside the cage. Hogan is now on the bottom level. He and Taskmaster end up on the R-way. Luger and Savage follow them down. 
We're now in the actual ring, the one they use for the rest of the show, Hogan and Taskmaster. Hogan gives in the big boot. Hogan and Taskmaster make their way back up the aisle, and Hogan and Luger start brawling around the back of the cage. Hogan hits Luger with a light, I think, and then rounds him off the guardrail. Hogan and Luger are back in the ring. Sarish hits Taskmaster with a wooden board. Hogan hits a ten punch on the mat to Luger. Taskmaster hits the 50th Lobo of the show. Hogan leathers Luger with a chair shot to the back. Taskmaster crouches Sarish on the guardrail. Out come the ultimate solution and the gangster. They drag Hogan and Savage back towards the cage. Macho Man hits an axe handle on the gangster. Hogan and the gangster scare off, stare off. Gangster gets a choking on Hogan. That sends him to the ground. Anson and Ric Flair just randomly return to the match. Booty Man sneaks in some powder and the pair of frying pans through the door. Hogan and Savage go swinging. Hogan says, don't bring a, uh, sorry, Heenan says, don't bring a frying pan, bring a stove. Luger comes out, puts a glove on. He goes to hit Savage, who's being held up by Flair. Savage ducks. Luger stops and then decides to hit Flair anyway. That plays a little bit into Flair's promo on Nitro the following night. Flair is knocked out. Savage and Hogan escape the cage and the Savage runs back in, realizes he actually got a pin Flair. And that, <laughs> that ends the match, Del. What was the planned outcome of this? It was like, Randy runs back going, oh no, we're on. We're on the telly. We need, we need to actually win a match. I'll just run in and put, right there, we'll run away. That's us one, we won. It, it was strange. Um, where do you start with us? Um, what a strange start, concept. Start literally from the top. Start with the first bit. I will start from the top of the three story, four tier. There was plenty of tiers, but not in a good way. Um, this was, it was a strange setup going in, but kind of one of those WCW strange setups where it's like, I'm genuinely intrigued to see what the hell's going to happen here. And it didn't, it, it just didn't work in a multitude of levels. I mean, how, we know Hulk Hogan has got a sizable ego. The fact that this was going to be one on four, I imagine the original plans of that were still to let Hulkamania prevail. That wasn't enough for Hulk. He then wanted to get his pal involved. So Randy comes in and saying two on four. That would make sense. Oh no, it needs to be two on eight because I was one on four, brother. So it needs to be two on eight. We then get Hulk and Randy just resorting to power, uh, powder, resorting to weapons, these guys are meant to be good guys, as far as I'm aware. Um, I, I, I still don't know the rules. I believe Hulk was quite intent on in taking the winners, just running away. And then Randy gets the pan. I, they come out of the cage, there was frying pans. The Luger spot didn't really make any sense on the night. As you say, TV-wise, it started making a bit more sense, but... On the night, it seems strange again. They kind of get caught out with the replay where they're trying to sell it that he just swung and missed. But then you see him pause. Um, we were talking earlier on about Booty Man and, and Kimberly. What's the attraction there? Any world where Nancy and Kevin Sullivan can be a couple, I think, gives us faith in all respects. Um, I spoke earlier on about seeing giant haystacks involved and a live event over here, he's now on this show as Loch Ness, on that same show you were seeing the likes of kind of the Underfaker and all these 
kind of guys pretending to be superstars for America. Kevin Sullivan kind of looks like a really low-rent Hulk Hogan impersonation. Really low-rent. Um, he's I, got the hairline for it. He's got the hairline, he's got the trunks. I mean, I think if we'd seen Hulk in maybe five, ten years, it might be Kevin Sullivan right now. Who knows what time will show. Um, it was just, I mean, lest we forget, Bob, this is a second offering of a show. Last year we saw John Tenter kidding on, he was a martial artist. We saw Goldust and the Repo Man, as they're now informally known, in the back of a van on a low-running flatbed truck racing across the countryside. I would say this even trumped last year's for just wackiness. And I'm I'm genuinely torn after watching this main event. You're going to ask me at the end, rate this out of 10. It could be a 2, it could be a 9, just for the fact of what I am seeing, and I cannot describe it. And I, I don't know. Wayne, Wayne, try and save me here. <laughs> well... The only thing it was missing was the fake concession stand of last year. <laughs> and then it would have been a 10. <laughs> Go away. No, I mean, you know, Dell said a lot there and, and he's, he's right in what he's saying. I think this has got to be, for me, one of the worst, if, if not the worst uh, main event I've, I've ever watched. Um, unlike Halloween Havoc, where there was a lot going on, um, but it was, Kind of a little, you took a bit out of it. It was, it was quite funny at the same time. This was, was confusing. It was, it was calamity from start to finish. I mean, we're 10 minutes in and, and Bobby Heenan is asking how, how do you win? If he doesn't know, then me as a viewer <laughs> is, is screwed. I'm screwed. If he doesn't know and he works for the company, then how am I meant to know how it's, uh, how it's going to be? And, and all, all that together just, just ruined it. The the concept. I mean, we we don't know the concept, but it, whatever it was, it was it was stupid. The 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 layout as a as a visual was um was was quite good, but just everything where they were started at the top and trying to come down. There, there was parts where I was sat there and I was actually I was laughing out loud at some of the things like Kevin Sullivan when he was trying to find the the object that Fleur put down. I was laughing at that. Um, Meng pushing the the door when when Hogan was was trying to lock lock it instead of pulling it open you know we all know that Meng's quite strong and him and the barbarian are, are pushing it so Hogan can can lock the door I thought you know that that was quite stupid and then you know Ian Anderson getting changed um, <laughs> that was uh, that you know that that was that was another thing it was moments like that you know probably made this better than than what it actually was because there, there was there was times when um, when, when I was laughing, but all of it together, uh, like the concept and the fact that I was confused throughout of, of, of how you can, how you can win it and, and what was going on was, uh, um, you know, was, was, was pretty stupid. And like, like Dell said, you know, at the end, Hogan's like, right, come on, let's get a jog on, let's get out of here. And then, ah, in fact, get back in there and pin Fleur because we've not actually won the match. And I think if they would have, if they would have ran out at that time and not gone back to, to pin him, I don't think anyone would have noticed if if there was a win on the card or not. I think it was like Colombo. It's just like oh, just one more thing. I need to win the match. That that would have oh. sent this match and this show over the top if Hogan <laughs> if Hogan and Savage had just run off and the match would have ended. Um, 
so many questions and so little answers. This is this is mental. Like <laughs> the, the the original concept here was a four on one match, and I, I I guess that would have made sense in that Hogan starts at the top, presumably against Al Anderson. He fights to Al Anderson and gets to the, the, the first part of the next level and faces whoever, let's say it was Taskmaster. He fights through the Taskmaster, gets to block three, let's say he faces off against Lex Luger. He fights through Lex Luger, he goes to the bottom, he gets in the ring with Ric Flair and he beats Ric Flair. That might have made a little bit of sense. It, it might have. And they just added all these other random things in, and then it just went, what the fuck are we watching here? Like, the, the fact that Brian Pillman never turned up, the fact that, you know, how are you supposed to win? Like, what was the point of the cage if you could just leave and randomly walk down to ringside during the match? What was the whole point of Flair and Anderson kind of being locked out, then being allowed to leave the cage, walk to the back, and then just walk back out again later on in the match? What was what was what was Zodiac doing or you know the Booty Man? Uh, why did Luger punch Flair? They didn't really explain that. I think they were teasing something. I think. Um, why did they need powder? Why did they need frying pans? What were the rules of the match? Like, there's like I don't know. But the weird thing is, is that I didn't hate this match. It was about 27 minutes long. It was completely inexplicable, and yet I sat there so just jaw agape. I couldn't hate it because it was like, what the hell are we seeing? Um, and like because it's it's not a wrestling match. You can't like. I can look at Diamond Dallas Page and the Booty Man and say it was an awful match because it was an awful match. I've never seen a Doomsday Cage match before. This is both the best and worst Doomsday Cage match I've ever seen. Um, Del, any answer to any of those questions? Um, I, I'd like to say, uh, I'd, 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 I'm, I'm at a loss, an absolute loss. And the more that we talk about it and the more that we look at the confusion and the confliction and I'm damaging closer than nine out of ten for this show, Bob. <laughs> and the bit where they exit the cage, what was the point of the cage? They could just walk out and They commit the cage, they then go back into the cage. But, but you know the point was they had to exit the cage. There was no way to get to the ring without walking out of the cage. Hmm. Like, what was the point of the first three pods if the match had to end by pinfall because there was nobody there to count the pin? Like, and then what was the point of having the four tiers if half of the, the opposing team isn't there at the match to start with and then they come out? And I, I don't know. Did, did, did the pinfall had to happen in that particular ring as well because it was already in one ring and the gangster and... Um, Optical solution, what's it called again? The, 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 the ultimate, ultimate solution. solution. Ultimate solution. Dragging from one ring to... Do not solution or there To bring them from one ring to the other. It was like, you know, I was confused by that as well. Just stay where you were. I... Just the watch. only possible... Oh. The only possible reason, I think... See the, see the powder that Hulk and Randy used... If that was some incredibly potent cocaine and there was some kind of way that the camera involved is in the trip of that, that kind of drug use. What, what if it was sense. napalm, as Bobby Heenan speculated on a previous WCW show? Oh, I don't know. 
I'm I'm so confused, but I'm just edging closer to think this is the best thing I've ever seen. You you have to watch this match, like you just have to. It's not. I don't know. Um, Del, your overall thoughts on this show and, and its score rating? Oh, ten. No. Ten. Um. Oh, what have we been watching? Um. I've been doing the show too damn long. Honestly, um, the worst part of it is we don't even question it anymore. No. Um, there was a couple of decent hangs. Um, Conan and Eddie was alright. That that just slugfest between Finlay and Regal. There was the bit in the middle for maybe about 20 minutes, half an hour, when you'd park in Medusa, you'd fucking beefcake. Um, I, I genuinely don't think for that main event, for just the wall-to-wall cluster that it was, I cannot possibly rate this less than a six because it's it's the it's the ever going battle in my own mind when we watch these shows, Bob. Where there's there's bad pay per views that are just bad because they're boring, and there's awful pay per views where you just know you've seen something that you will never see again. And uh, just for that and its own, I, I need to give us a six just for the absolute mess and a beautiful mess that that main event was. Six out of ten for me. Why? Um, probably just going to be a straight up four for me. Um, I can't go with uh, with, with Dell on this one, unfortunately. As as much as I do get my uh, arm twisted sometimes, I'm I'm sticking <laughs> by my guns. Although you know there was there was moments in that main event where I was laughing, it was nothing to do with the with the actual match itself. And um, you know we're here to, to to watch wrestling matches at the end of the day. So uh, big thumbs up for um, for, for for the uh, brawl between uh, uh, Regal and um, the um, Bruiser, and and obviously the the first match as well. But everything else I didn't enjoy all that much. So uh, so yeah, just a four. I've actually written down four numbers in trying to work out what I'm going to give this show while you two were talking. Um, I went from a five to a four to a two and a half to a three, and I've come back to a five, um, which is probably a good a good illustration of how difficult it is to score a show in, in any kind of way when you've got you know some stuff that is genuinely horrendous and some stuff that's quite good, um, but uh, like. The only, the only really, really horrendous thing on this show is DDP and what, uh, and sorry, DDP and Booty Man. There are two matches on there that are really bad but are so short it, it doesn't matter. And, and the, and even the Medusa Parker match is entertaining. And I, I find it difficult to be truly critical of the main event in the sense that it was never really presented in a way that we are meant to take it seriously. Like, you just look at the thing and you go, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, why, why would we have a good match in that setting? What, what possible way could that happen? And I, I, yeah, I'm going to give it a five out of ten with, with no confidence at all, other than to say that. Um, it's an interesting follow up question though. Um, I know we did mention it a few minutes ago. Wayne, what was more mental, this uncentered or last one? Because I'm still inclined to say last year's. I, I think last year as well, because, um, apart from uh, apart from the main event in this one, last year we had, like I said before, we had the fake concession stand, uh, we had uh, the uh, the truck, 
there was something else, and I can't feel like... Boxer versus wrestler. That was it, boxer versus wrestler. Plus, there was yeah. the fact that Randy did run back into the cage and at least pinned somebody that was in the last, <laughs> as opposed to the last year when Vader was, <laughs> Vader was in the four corners match. <laughs> Well, in fact, yeah, well, that that was the uh, that was the main event last year, wasn't it? Rick Flair got uh, got dragged and 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 Vader won because sorry, and Hogan won because of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, last, if, if Uncensored is going to be if Uncensored is going to be this balmy every year, I think people are going to buy it. Like it's it's one of those things. It's 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 a very watchable, if completely fucking crazy show. And if you're going to deliver it year on year, like you can't do this cup of car crash too often. But if it's the one night of the year where just yeah, you know, we just throw the rules out the window and we just go to hell with it. Let's see let's see what crazy shit we can come up with. I think people are going to watch, um, and that's why it's hard to be immensely critical of this show. Is that it's bloody watchable, and and that's. You know, having sat through some really, really dull pay-per-views last year that probably scored similar, you know, similar scores to what we scored tonight on the base, they were all really flat shows. This wasn't that, and it's like, I think if you paid, you know, twenty nine ninety five, whatever WCW are charging pay-per-views these days, I think you got your money's worth in the sense that when it's, if you're presenting an eight on two main event, <laughs> you're, you're not buying it expecting a classic. You're not buying it expecting Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. I don't know what you're buying it for, but if you bought this show, I don't think it came not as advertised. And so I think our scores are probably about right. More of uh, more of the uh, Belfast Bruiser and uh, Regal type matches rather than uh, the Boot and DDP matches, though. Yes. And we can only hope that the S&M funhouse of the main event setting can become a staple of modern day wrestling. <laughs> I'd, like, well, I'd, I'd like to see them try and make sense of it for future years. Like, how, what other what other combination of this match you can do? I think it'd be more fun if you started at the bottom and worked your way up. That'd be a, that'd be that'd make a lot more sense actually in theory. Like the match finishes in the top one, not in the bottom. Um, but I don't want to give them any ideas. show on March the 25th opens with Randy Savage against the Belfast Bruiser. This is a hard-hitting match, as you'd expect. Bruiser misses a shoulder charge in the corner. Savage hits a top rope elbow drop to win the match. We briefly get a rendition of I've Got the Whole World in My Hands from Ric Flair. He's out cutting a promo with Miss Elizabeth and Woman. Flair has words for Lex Luger after what happened at the pay-per-view. During the match between Conan and Mr. JL, they mention Savage is going nuts backstage trying to find Flair. After a decent match, Conan picks up the win with a slam. Kimberly Page is out for a match with the Booty Man against the Disco Inferno. She's now being called the Booty Babe. Booty Man makes light work of this one. Next up is Sting and Lex Luger against the American Males. They're still teasing Sting being a very forgiving friend to Luger. Sting and Bagwell have a good exchange for a few minutes. Luger unloads on Bagwell and Sting looks a bit alarmed at the severity of the attack. Sting and Luger win when Sting pins Scotty Riggs. Luger runs off with both belts. Sting has to ask ask for his one back. Sting stays in the ring and raises the hands of both Bagwell and Riggs. Ric Flair comes out for the main event with Woman and Miss Elizabeth. Elizabeth has a handful of money. They're saying it's Savage's money. Savage comes down the R-way and has to be held back by Jim Duggan and Eddie Guerrero. Woman manages to get a slap in. The main event is Flair against Giant for the title. 
flare ragdolls for giant early doors. Giant no sells flares chops. Who doesn't these days? Eric Bischoff announces WCW Hog Wild in August at the Harley Davidson Rally in Sturgis. Giant heads to the top and goes for a splash. Flair rolls out of the way, but even if he didn't, Giant actually leapt so far he would have missed him anyway. Giant chokeslams Flair. The ladies jump in the ring. Anderson runs out and whacks Giant with a chair. Giant chokeslams them both, and the match is ruled a no contest. Oh, my, my, my. Miss Elizabeth, woman. <laughs> Nature boy, Rick Flair. i got a ton of things to talk to you about later on tonight here on Nitro. A ton of events as a result of what happened last night in Tupelo. You're going to be facing the seven foot four, 446 pound giant. On hand, me woman. Me, Jing, tonight we slay a real live, walking, talking, fire breathing giant. And I want to assure the world before it's all over, I will look down at the giant and say, brother, ask yourself this. What's causing all this? Woo! I got the whole world in my hands. I got the whole... It's not easy being a nature boy. Me, G, look. I we can... got world title belts. We got woman, oh, woman, oh, to marry me now. And we have Macho Man's former better half now with the Nate Chevrolet. All right, Ric Flair, before we go any further, they have been calling the hotline all day long. Folks want to know what happened last night. And uncensored, you got KO'd, and I think it was quite intentional by Lex Luger. I not only got KO'd for the first time in a couple of months, you see, I've been flying so high, me, Gene. I really haven't looked at Luger. I really haven't looked at the package for what he is. And that is a man that wants to be where I am. Mean Gene, good looking at woman, brother. I, I can't help myself sometimes, Nate. Luger, for the air, for the costly air and judgment you made last night, you now, my friend, are on that long list of people that are not going to be able to style and profile Woo! with the Nate Shimon. All right, I thank you, Elizabeth. You are looking... Liz, who is more man, me or Lex Luger? Oh, you, Rick. No, that's not answer it. Woman, oh, woman, Woo! who's got a better body, me or Lex Luger? You champ. Right. I'll go with the gals. I don't hey, mind telling you. Thank you very much to nature boy Rick Flair. We'll see him later in the hour. Right now. Giant, get ready. Let's get Woo. you back to the ring. And we come back in for the final bit of the show. Nothing gargantuan to discuss. I think probably more in the sense that we did kind of touch a lot on the Kevin Nash, a.k.a. Diesel story last month. But we have two new guests and we have confirmation of what we believe to be true last month. Uh, in that, Diesel, or Kevin Nash, a.k.a. Diesel, um, has formally handed his notice with the WWF um, and has reportedly signed a three-year contract with WCW, rumoured to uh, be in the range of anywhere between about uh, $450,000 and I think three quarters of a million per year. I think the assumption is it's probably on the lower half of that. Um, 
you know, the, obviously he's got the rest of his time, the WWF to, uh, he's no superior to serve, so logically he'll be available, I think, early June, if it's three months, this kind of happened at the very beginning of March. Um, Jell, it's a big get. It's, it really could be some, actually. Um, there are a lot of people these days kind of moaning about the decline in the territories. We've seen ECW kind of rise for the ashes and that. We turn the Eastern into extreme and they've kind of carved out a bit of a niche for themselves. Um, but can I say maybe about 10 years ago, it was really a one-way street where guys just went to New York, the, the kind of headliners out of the out of the kind of world classes and out of the AWAs and they just went to New York and then that was that they shut the doors. This time it, it is kind of it's exciting because you're seeing like six months ago you look back to the to the mall and Lex Luger walks out and it's like oh this is different. And then you see this month you've got the, the likes of Johnny B. Bad switching. We've got um, Cactus Jack going to be turning up in, in WWF at the start of next month but then at the same time you're now seeing guys for New York switching out of there and then going to a, a very very strong competitor um, the kind of the weirdness that we've seen in that pay-per-view is funny to look at but then there is that underlying kind of feeling where you're going to be seeing a world champion and he's the longest world champion that we've seen in, in New York for a good few years for the likes of a, a Hogan and a Backlund when Diesel and enough had that full year with the belt. Yep, there was definite learnings, I think, in that, which has certainly not kind of hindered his decision. I don't think to switch down south. I think if they'd uh, uh, kind of maybe done that heel turn that we spoke about or if they'd maybe done something more with with him and Sean instead of letting Sean kind of run out in his own away for, for Big Daddy Cool he might have been more tempted to stay there but the fact that this is coming on the back of the Scott Hall news as well is very 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 interesting and as I say let's just hope similar to what we were talking about with our tag division is that they can make the right they can call the right plays with these guys because it could be a it could really be a big a big kind of flip me the bird up to Vince in New York and it's like well we've got your guys you messed them up this is what we're going to do and hopefully it's going to be good why I'm quite surprised by it in all honesty and and it just goes to show that money does actually talk because uh, you know Diesel himself has had 12 months with the uh, with the title um, I mean, don't get me wrong, he was, he was quite underwhelming, uh, and we've been very vocal about him and his, uh, and his first run, but we've just seen him, uh, enter a, a tweener role and then obviously, uh, heel role at the, uh, uh, at the, the back end of his, uh, run before, um, uh, before he does, um, move to WCW. And, you know, we, we, we as, uh, as, as, as fans watching it have, uh, uh, have really grown into the, the Diesel character when he has gone to this role and, and for him to just, you know, give up and, and, and think that he's, uh, he's going to move to, to WCW. I mean, with the salaries getting paid, they're obviously going to do something with him. Um, but, you know, has he got, has he got short memory? Does he not remember why, why he left there in the first place? He was, um, he was, you know, treading water. He wasn't doing anything. He was his Vinny Vegas character. Vinny Vegas was headed for the top, Wayne. 
Well, not, not WCW didn't think so because uh, the, you know he, he might have been that character, but they wasn't doing anything with him. And yeah, he might have been you know shown that sort of potential in him. But you know, they've WC, uh, WWF have, have brought him in, and and then Vince has seen that potential and, and thought that he you know they want to do something with him, and, and they did do something with him. Unfortunately, you know his, his first run didn't quite work out. But what's to say that he you know he didn't enter that heel role and 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 was heel for some time and then gradually become the face that, that we all thought he could be, which was, you know, a dominant uh, dominant face who, who was also a monster, but um, obviously that, you know, that, that role wasn't played out the, the first time we uh, um, we we entered it. Um, so I'm quite, uh, you know, I'm quite quite surprised in, in, in that sense that he, that he has wanted to make the move, and uh, obviously reading all the uh, uh, you know, all, all the notes as well um thing in, in, in the news with Hogan saying, you know, he's, he, he'd be better thinking that the, that the money would be going better elsewhere, you know, to a Yoko Zuna or, or to an Ultimate Warrior. Now, you know, that's only to, to benefit himself and, and, and maybe that's why he's, he's being quite vocal on, on, on that point because he sees someone like Diesel as, as a threat because, because he will be if he's coming into WCW. The, we, like I said before, with the salary that they're going to pay him, um, they they are going to do something with him, um, and as I said before, you know I'm I'm quite surprised he's made that move, but I know for a fact that um, with the way that they've done the Lex Luger character, I think he's uh, you know he's come on leaps and bounds in 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 the um, character that that he's got at the moment, and if Diesel follows suit, then you know I think we're going to be watching something that's going to be um, um, you know must see. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not hard to work out why he would have jumped at this opportunity. I don't think it's purely financial. One in the sense that, um, you know, uh, well, it's, it, there's certainly probably finance is probably a large part to do with it. Um, in the sense that WWF pay, you know, a lower base salary, but, you know, because they run more house shows and because their merchandising arm is stronger, uh, you have the potential to earn more. And I think by and large, there's a thought, and certainly there's the thought when discussing around, um, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, uh, was that in actuality, his earnings are probably going to be fairly similar, certainly to what he was earning in WWF, say, in 1994, um, if he moves across. So it's not like the money is necessarily any different. I think the big point is that he'll be earning a similar amount of money, perhaps a little bit more, but crucially working far fewer days. Um, there's a great quote, we're going to come on to the John B. Bad story in a bit. John B. Bad did a, an interview with Wade Keller in the Pro Wrestling Torch, and one of the things he said was, you know, I spent, you know, three years at WCW earning really good money, and now it's time to go out on the road. I.e., I'm now, not that the money necessarily would be a lot different, but more that now it's a case of I kind of got to earn my money, I've got to work no, more days. actually start what? Yeah. yeah, to a point, to a point. I don't think that quite, I don't think you made that in quite such a black and white way, but more just in the idea that there is, there is a difference between working for WCW and working for WWF. I think if Diesel looks at a guy like Lex Luger and goes, well, Luger kind of died on his ass after his babyface run went. Now, admittedly, Luger didn't turn heel. He just kind of tread water. Um, but Luger went to, you know, WCW as this flat act from WWF, and they've turned him into something really quite fun to watch this heel friends with sting this quite compelling character he's not at the top of the roster but he's one of their main guys um it's not hard to work out why diesel might find all of that more attractive um you know and and there's no you know 
Diesel's a heel, even if it worked. Like, they showed as a baby face they couldn't book him. There's no real guarantee that they're going to get it right as a heel, even if it gets over. You know, it's it's still the same thing. It's still basic matchmaking. And okay, I suspect Vince will probably have an easier time booking Diesel as dominant heels. He would do trying to book him as a, a Hulk Hogan-like babyface, towering over all of these, his opponents. But if it's gone wrong once, it's probably going to go wrong again. Um, but yeah, a big get. Uh, it's a big loss of WWF. It's, I think that there's a lot of talk, certainly around reading the talks and the observe this month, just about uh, the perception. Um, you know, one of the things about Johnny Bad that we'll come on to in a second, and one of the reasons I think why the Nasty Boys stuck around is that WCW didn't want to be seen as a company that's losing talent. Um, you know, WWF bring in Ultimate Warrior. Johnny Bad will turn up soon rather than later. Mankind, okay, Cactus Jack is turning up. Names are coming into WWF and there's almost this perception thing that they don't want to be seen as, you know, being this company that's losing talent rather than gaining it. Um, so there's that part of it as well. And there's just this brilliant, brilliant throwback to the Billionaire Ted segments in January. Billionaire Ted says, I don't make talent, I buy it. Yes, yes, that's that's what happens. Uh, and it leads in quite nice as quite as we move on to the story about John and Be Bad. Um here's a quote from Mark Merrow, um John and Bad's real name, talking with uh Wade Keller, this month's Pro Wrestling Torch. Um Eric Bischoff has never created a star in WCW. I'm not putting anybody down, but none of us have become stars, including myself. Sting is probably the biggest thing WCW has ever created, but he's never got to that level of Macho or Hogan. It's obvious now because those guys come in and they put Sting right down. It's sad and Sting is one of my best friends. He never gets the credit he deserves because WCW cannot make champions. WWF makes them and WCW takes them. Um... Wayne, on that quote or otherwise, thoughts on, on John Bad's departure? If you was asking me this six to eight months ago, um, I probably wouldn't have batted an eyelid. I was like, yeah, I don't really like the guy. Um, but as obviously doing doing this show and, 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 and watching him more and more each month, I've, I've really bought into him. So um, I'm quite intrigued now um, what WWF are, are actually going to do with him because, yeah, you, you rightly so, you know, they make the characters. Um, but what they're going to do, are they going to do a similar setup to, to Johnny B. Bad? Because I know obviously they can't use the name, um, but are they going to have him... Um, you know, coming in and, and obviously being a fan favorite like that, or are they are they going to change him up? So I'm 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 going in with with open eyes. Um, I think it could be a, a good move for him because one of the things that he obviously Matt Miro referenced himself was the they can't make the stars. They 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 buy them. Obviously, you only need to look at Sting. They've got a number one star on the hands, and he's in tag matches with Booker T. Um, so, uh, so, you know, that just goes to show that what they, what they do with, uh, with, with stars on, on the hands. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite intrigued to, to see what he's, he's going to do. I think it probably is a good move for him. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and, wait and see, I suppose. But yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it works out for him. Dale, your thoughts? I think they kind of touched on what Wayne had said there about they kind of use that, that character, that Johnny B. Bad character, that's kind of what we know about this Mark Merrill, Merrill, I think it was Mark Merrill guy. Um, I've said it before, I think it was last year when we seen Johnny B. Bad and Honky Tonk. Honky was kind of a 70s gimmick. 
Johnny Be Bad was a bit of an 80s gimmick and they were wrestling in the 90s. I don't think it'll be a bad thing to see him going away from that if he needs to. Um, I imagine it will be quite a strong change as we've seen with Big Bubba Rogers last year when he came back to the WCW as the, the boss. That was very, very quickly addressed that, no, you can't do that. So I imagine Vince will be pretty pretty forward thinking about that and he will change kind of aspects of this Johnny be bad character. The only the only doubt I would have about that is from a charisma point of view, for a talking point of view, when you're bringing in the likes of a, a cactus jack or a mankind as he's gonna be called now you've got people there that will literally talk people into a building. I don't know whether Johnny B. Bad can do that, but all you need to look at is, is that quote that you read out there, Bob, when if that's that man that's talking and he's saying Atlanta, they don't make stars, they take them, and kind of tap back to like the billionaire Ted stuff, if that's, if that's something that's kind of twisting the cogs in his mind, if that's the kind of sound bites that he can come out with, there's potential there for him. Plus, if he's if he's at the point where Diesel's switching, because quite frankly, I think a big part of his decision is would you rather kind of work two fifty three hundred nights of the year, bumping run about a, a Shawn Michaels or a Bret Hart, who are elite elite athletes, as we've seen with the the Iron Man match and the cardio that you guys have got. Diesel looks as if he's switching to get away from that. Merrill seems to be switching knowing that that's what he's getting into and if he's a switched on and is able to kind of come out with these sound bites and have the work ethic it's it could be a, it's not going to be as big a get as a diesel going to Atlanta but a bad going to New York I think it could work yeah to fill in the kind of notes on the departure it's the kind of thing I might have had Stuart Brooks read out, but I don't think it was the, the, the story necessarily warranted it in that much detail. Essentially, um, Bad's contract was up in the middle of February. Um, there was a deal on the table, but, it, and, you know, by and large, I think financially, um, they weren't all that far apart. It was more a case of apparently there was a, a 90 day clause every 90 days WCW had a break, um, where they could break the contract without really any notice or warning. So even though it was a three year deal worth, you know, $300,000 a year, bad thought, well, this isn't very good. It doesn't offer me a lot of protection. Um, and then basically things just broke down with Eric Bischoff. Um, Bob wants some guarantees of the director his character. There was the whole thing surrounding the, the Kimberly Page, Diamond Dallas Page storyline. Bob was not happy with that. Um, and that rubbed a few people up the wrong way. Someone, there's a report of someone joking, what, we're going to have to run every storyline we do with you by God or something like that. Um, and then there was this thing with, uh, apparently, Bischoff wanted him to appear at a WCW racing meet uh, with Steve Grissom, WCW racing driver. Bad's daughter's birthday was that day, I think. Um, so Bad said he couldn't do it. Apparently that got heat with Bischoff. Bad then said, OK, I'll do it. And then Bischoff said, actually, I don't want you there anyway. And that was really that. And apparently Bad tried to kind of end it on bad terms. And Bischoff said, this is ending on bad terms. Um, so all that being said, yeah, I think the reservations about his character are, are very well very well pointed out it's a a very old school character um i think it's one that he played quite well but he struggled to get over from a talking standpoint i don't think that's necessarily he did a bad job with it it's just a difficult character 
Um, but we look at the positives and go, this guy is incredibly good in the ring, and I think it's a big hole in WCW's roster. We look at a time where Brian Pillman isn't working for them either, and they've lost a lot of work rate there. Now, they're bringing it in with Guerrero, with Malenko, with Benoit, etc., etc., but they've lost a couple of guys that could be relied on, if nothing else, to put on really good opening, opening level matches. That's a big miss. If WWF can get a character right with this guy, he could slot in. Well, I mean, not slot in. He could climb to kind of upper mid-card level in that company and be this kind of number four, number five level baby face, maybe, if they get it right. But he's certainly got the talent and the opportunity. Um, and, you know, yeah, WWF seems to be about taking WCW guys and repackaging them. Look at Hunter's Helsley. Look at Mankind. I think he'll get... A different character change. If it's a good character change, he's got every chance. Um, we'll see about that. We'll segue into Brian Pillman. Um, not a ton to discuss. We discussed it more on the ECW part in Volume Three. Um, but Dal, in terms of the Pillman story, I mean, uh, all really odd. On, on the first of the nitros where he appeared, apparently the problem was was that in an attempt to work almost everybody, nobody was really prepared for him turning up. So when he got into the crowd, there was uh, got into it with the kind of people in the front row in the crowd. No cameraman was ready for the shot. So they almost worked themselves into a corner with that. Dale, what do you think of the Pillman presentation this month? I think a lot of this current... Brian Pillman revolves around confusion, as you said yourself, Bob, whether it's confusion in an office, whether it's confusion with the fans, confusion with the audience and TVs, even confusion with the boys. Um, we've just reviewed a show there that kind of got a rib stick on a bit with confusion and just the absolute farcical nature of it. Pillman is playing the confusion angle for another point where it's, it's incredibly intriguing but it's just, where is he going to turn up? Is he, is he still under contract with, with ECW? Is he under contract with WCW? These are a lot of questions that are, that a kind of frontline viewer maybe wouldn't really ask, but it's still, he pops up on your screen, you watch him. Whether he's in kind of Atlanta and there's the full kind of coming out of the crowd, whether it's in Philly and he's calling everybody motherfucking smart marks. It's something that, it's something that can certainly prick your ears up. And I think wherever he goes, I would like to see him on a bigger stage, just purely for a selfish point of view. The more people that see a guy like Pillman, I think the more eyes get drawn to our, drawn to our business. Um, but I just think the guy is, it's almost as if he's ahead of his time. But it's like, try to play, try to play the cards that close to the chest. You just know he's got a couple of aces that he can just throw in the table at any point. Wayne? Yeah, I mean, we we bang on enough about WCW trying to be uh, must-see, but this guy is. Um, he is must-see. He, every time he, he comes onto the screen where it's through the crowd, you just compose him to watching what he's doing because you know something at this moment in time. You know he's going to do something which is quite outrageous, like whether it's turning up at ECW and uh, and, and and forking someone in the uh, in, in the face, or whether it's uh, turning up to uh, you know WCW Nitro and, and and lumping one straight on uh, on Savage. You know you're going to get something from him. Um, I think the fact that he's the, you know he's he's not being overexposed is he's, he's probably playing into uh, everyone's hands at the moment. Um, I think as soon as the 
Um, they show too much of Pillman. You know, it could uh, it, it could win quite quickly. So well, with somebody got... that has a penchant for pissing in ring, the overexposure <laughs> could well be a problem. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so you know, I, I think obviously they've got to they've got to tread carefully with it. Um, but you know, this month can't can't fault it again. I said you know, it it, it could it, it would have been nice if he if he would have turned up in in that doomsday match, not actually be in the match itself, but you know, near the end, you know, just be there to um to you know to to do something could have been uh, um you know could could have been quite quite special and and, and eventful but uh, you know the fact that he turned up at the nitro and as i said you know he actually socked savage and uh, and was uh, i think it was sullivan he was going after as well um I, I you know i can't fault the way that the uh, um the way that his character's playing out at the moment yeah i i think they've you know it, it's one of these things that's been so much has happened. They've tried so much. I just don't know that we're in this massively strong position with Pillman. I think he's got some notoriety out of it. But I don't know that WCW were getting a ton of buys off the back of advertising Brian Pillman. I hope they weren't because they didn't turn up. Um, but it's just an odd... It's an odd presentation. It's like they're trying so hard and you're thinking, why not take about 70% of this and turn it into a really, really good storyline rather than really, really working hard and just... Uh, I, I just don't know whether it got anywhere. There are stories that Hulk Hogan wanted to include him in the match and there was a thought, well, if Pillman ends up on the side of Taskmaster, doesn't it all fall apart? That's just Hogan logic for you and Hogan trying to jump on something hot. Um... It just didn't, it just, it hasn't worked for me so far. I think some of his ECW stuff has been entertaining, but you watch ECW stuff and you get to the end of it, it's like, okay, where's this going? Or where was it meant to go? And it's difficult to work out. I'm sat here watching this and going, where's this going? And it's difficult to work out. I don't know. Um, it's certainly more interesting than what they would have been doing with Brian Pillman otherwise, probably. But I, I, I don't know that we can sit here and call this a success right now. Got more to play out, sure. But it's it's got to come around in a way that's going to draw money for them. And I'm not convinced they've got that yet. Um, but we will see. The other thing to quickly touch on before we get towards the end of the show is the Steiner brothers. Wayne, uh, talk about ins and outs. A big in. Oh, massive in. Um, you know, we, we mentioned before about how healthy the tag division is at the moment. Um, these guys have just strengthened it tenfold. You know, when they turned up at that uh, that Nitro and went against uh, uh, um, Road Warriors, um, it was just a slugfest. Absolutely loved it. And so, um, I think I um, made reference to, to to you guys off uh, off. Uh, um, never really see Hawk selling anything, and uh, and he actually sold something from Scott Steiner. I don't think it was intentional selling. Um, <laughs> it was, um, you know, I think he I think he took a bit of a battering, which was uh, which was nice to see. But you know, bring, bringing uh, the the Steiners back is uh, um, you know is, is really intriguing, and I'm I'm, I'm really excited that they uh, that they are back. Dell, as uh, as Mister B Bad said, Ted don't. Ted don't make talent, Ted takes it. Um, they've got the Warriors in there, which is nice to see. They've got the Nasties floating about. They've got the Steiners. It does kind of ring a bit of a bell with the main event when you've got established names in there, a Flair, a Hogan, a Savage. They're not particularly making anybody else in that scene. But when you get done a couple of fights on the card to the tag division, 
you've got a public enemy getting signed, you've got a Harlem Heat that are coming through, even after the Harlem Heat come through, I think we'll be hard to push in the next three, four years that a, that a Booker T can't break out of that. And having, having established names like a, a Ricky Steiner and a Scotty Steiner, having a, a Road Warriors there, it just makes the, the inevitable matchups with these younger guys are the more believable. And when they do touch wood, eventually go over these guys, the bigger the names that they can go over, the bigger the names they're going to be. And, and for tag wrestling, looking at the last five, ten years, you think of the Steiners, you think of the Road Warriors or Legion of Doom, and it's, it can only be a good thing. It's going to get, it's going to get bums and seats, and at the end of the day, it's going to make these young guys kind of have the, have the thirst to go out there and get it because they're going to be fighting main event level talent, and eventually if they're going to be going over them, it's going to hopefully turn them into main event talent as well. So I think it's a brilliant get. Yeah, um, it makes the tag team division even stronger than it already was. I, I'm a huge fan of the Steiner brothers. I think they work one of the the most strong, most entertaining to watch tag team stars of any tag team around right now. Um, and you add in a big tight big team like this, and all of a sudden there's a whole lot more match possibilities with you know with the Nasty Boys, with Harlem Heat, with the Public Enemy, with the Road Warriors, with Sting and Luga, with all the other teams WCW have got. It's just a big gets um anyway speaking of the wcw tag team division uh in the last few minutes i've been hastily recalculating my um maths from earlier oh yes uh it t- i i had a number in mind that was a very round number but it turns out there weren't 20 matches there were 21 from the sample which has screwed the sample up a bit i won't um, blame that for my incorrect answer bob well, you, you, you may well be able to. Uh, we, I will go through this, but uh, the, I think I guessed it on this month's show, and certainly when I sat down before I started looking at this, my guess for the, basically, the, 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 the rules of the question were the percentage of WCW title matches on clashes or pay-per-views that ended in what I would call an nefarious or screwy finish, e.g. not clean. Uh, my guess before this all started, and I think I said this on last month's show, was 80%. Uh, Dale, what number did you have in mind? We're working off a twenty-one. I would say maybe about fifteen, sixteen. I would go with maybe sixty. I'll say sixty-five. I'll be Oof. generous to them. Sixty-five from Dell and Wayne. I'm not going to be as generous. I I should actually get this on the money because uh, at the end of the year award show. I made reference to how many uh, how many um, bad finishes there's been in the tag match. So, with it being 21, I'm gonna go with 93.5 percent. Wayne, let's go. Well, it, it's funny, Dale. You've got the percentage wrong, but I think you've got the number right. Uh, oh, so it's my own mass that it was like. Yeah, I think it is. Um, earlier, earlier today, I calculated it as we've reviewed in total 24 tag matches, of which four were non-title. Um, and I then thought it was 15 screwy finishes and five clean finishes. I've gone back through and counted. I've counted 15 screwy finishes and six clean finishes um, to give a total percentage of 73, 71.43%. Um, Del, you, you know what's happened, Bob? I've worked off a ratio of 20 instead of 21. Yeah. Yeah, you, well, um, you were still out. Uh, you, like, you know, 15 out of 20 is 75%. 
So if you add in one, you should creep down from that, not to 65, though. To go through it, I will go through it We're at the end of the show, you might as well. We start off at the August 1993 Clash of the Champions. Arn Anderson and Paul Rowan defeated Steve Austin and Lord Stephen Regal, standing in for an injured Brian Pillman, of all things, uh, after a crutch shot from Sir William. Uh, September 1993, four brawl. The Nasty Boys defeated Ironson and Paul Roma, uh, the four horsemen at this point, after a blind elbow drop from Sags with the referee distracted, flipped over the pin. November 1993 at Halloween, uh, sorry, October 93 at Halloween Havoc, the Nasty Boys defeated Marcus Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio after Sags hit one of them with a boot. November 93 at the Clash, the Nasties defeated Sting and Dave Boy Smith with another blind elbow drop with the referee's back turned from Sags. December 1993, uh, Sting and Hawk won by disqualification over the Nasty Boys after Missy Hyatt uh, caused the disqualification. So in August 93, we covered five. Ta- oh, sorry, in 93, we covered five tag title matches, and all five ended in screwy finishes. January 1994, at the Clash was a non-title match uh, with what I've got written as a dirty babyface win after a uh, about three different distractions as Catch Jack and Max Payne defeat the Nasty Boys. Uh, in February, we had a uh, Super Bowl. We had Nasty Boys facing off against Catch Jack and Max Payne. That ended in DQ when Sags just leathered Max Payne with a guitar. Uh, on to April, there was no show in March with WrestleMania. The Nasty Boys uh, and Max Payne and Cactus Jack uh, was a street fight. So while that ended with a shot from a shovel, that was perfectly legal. Goes in as a clean finish. May 94 at Slamboree, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan. Uh, I think th- theoretically it was Dave Sullivan that was injured, so Cactus Jack was subbing in for Dave rather than um, Kevin subbing in for Max Payne. Gets the Nasty Boys. That was a broad street bully match. That ended when referee Dave Schultz turned on, on, on Jerry Sam. But still, it's a no disqualification match, so it goes down as a clean finish. Uh, during the Clash of the Champions, Jack and Sullivan um, won cleanly over the Nasty Boys. Uh, it's, it's a clean finish, but still a clean finish in a distraction babyface type thing, so we'll allow it. Uh, July at Bash at the Beach, Paul Roma and uh, Paul Orndorff defeated Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan. Roma held Jack down uh, while Orndorff pinned him, and that changed the title, changed hands there. August at the Clash in 94, the Nasties uh, faced pretty wonderful. That was an illegal man match, but that was a no title. That was an illegal man pin, uh, but that was a non-title match, so that doesn't count. September at the Clash in 94, pretty wonderful, defeated Stars and Stripes as Orndorff as the illegal man. Paul drove the illegal man on the outside side. Uh, Patriot tried to pin uh, Roma but wasn't a legal man and uh, Bagwell got pinned. In October, Halloween Havoc in 1994, pretty wonderful, uh, defeated Stars and Stripes, uh, who were the champions after a blind elbow drop from Paul Roma, uh, with the referee's back turned. November 1994 at the Clash, Stars and Stripes defeated uh, pretty wonderful to win back the tag titles after a double pin, uh, but it was the correct decision, so this goes in as a clean victory as uh, Bagwell got his shot up for the three. Uh, 90, December 94 at Starcade, there was no tag title match. January 1995, the clash, Harlem Heat went over Bagwell and Patriot after Stevie Ray as the legal man hit a kick. February 1995 at Super Bowl, Harlem Heat went over the Nasty Boys after a false reverse finish uh, after Sherry interfered. We got two refs, a lot of shenanigans. Uh, March 1995 was the match we referenced earlier, the Nasty Boys against Harlem Heat in a non-title Falls Cat Anywhere match. That ended, well, it was, a, it was the one with the uh, concession sound brawl. May 1995, Slamboree. I've got in my notes the first genuinely clean finish of any title tag title match we've ever done. 
as the Nasty Boys won. Sherry did try to interfere, but Brian Nobbs ran her off, and then they hit uh, an elbow drop from the top, and that was a clean win. June 1995, the Great American Bash, the Nasty Boys went over the Blue Bloods after interference from Booker T. July 1995, at the Bash at the Beach, Harlem Heat went over the Nasty Boys and um, the Blue Bloods. Uh, you, this is an interesting one, uh, in the sense that uh, I think Sags pinned Booker T, who pinned uh, L. Robert Eaton, I sag sat on top of them. I I undenied about it. I think in the end I counted it as a clean finish. Ah, it was screwy that ball. That's what fucked me. That's what's blowing my numbers went. That was a screwy finish. Well, hang on. Have I counted this? This may be where my maths has gone wrong. Hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Talk amongst yourselves. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. If we're talking amongst ourselves, I think I've found out where my ninety-three percent came from. Out of all the screwy finishes you've worked out, 93% of them involved either Harlem Heat or Nasty Boys. And that's what I'm standing by. I'm just going to blame the fact that the Halloween Havoc screwy finish I never noticed because I was still in tears over the death of a giant. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can see your point on that one. It was 21. I'll carry on. August 1995, there was no tag title match. It was a six-person tag. That was, I think that was all the Sherry Amnesia angle. Uh, September 1995, at full brawl, Harlem Heat went over Buck and Slater after the Nasty Boys interfered. October through to December 1995, there was no title match on any of those shows. January 1996, Sting and Luger went over cleanly over the Blue Bloods. And in February 1995, last month, Sting and Luger went over Harlem Heat after the Road Warriors interfered. I believe that is 21 title matches. Uh, I have that down as a record of 15 screw finishes and 6 clean finishes and we are being a bit generous with some of those but that was very generous interesting way to end this month's show but the number I've got is 71.43% which is a fucking lot of screw finishes over the course of two years and ladies and gentlemen Mr. Bobby Bamba. Lock may they continue. Uh, gentlemen, we will wrap up this month's show. That little segue into my frustration with WCW. Notwithstanding, a very entertaining show. Firstly, thank you to Wayne Lithgow. Uh, thanks very much, Bob. Uh, Wayne, you can be found on Twitter. I can. Um, everyone should know this by now because it's the plain and simple Wayne L84. And... Del, Del, six months out, you picked one hell of a show to come back for. And I am only too thankful for the invite, Bob. Thank you for such a momentous occasion for my comeback. I'll ask you on air, Del, if not to put a little bit of pressure on you. Are you going to take back over the power rankings from me that I have been kind of propping up on the website in the last four or five months? I would say that probably depends on Her Majesty to retain and may our pleasure, but all going according to plan, I would only be too happy to help you in any way I can. Bob. Splendid. Del, you can be found on Twitter. I can indeed. Del underscore Muir. Excellent, excellent. Uh, yes, uh, you will hopefully, um, you will have heard us talk about WrestleMania on part one. It's going to, in theory, be me, Del and Wayne. Uh, on volume three of uh, ECW, we look at the stuff around Brian Pillman, Big Ass Extreme Bash, the end of Cactus Jack, as sweary as hell, New Jack promo, lots of stuff on there. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamber. You can find all the information about the show on Wrestling20YRS.com. Uh, if you're on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. Uh, and I think that's about it. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been Volume 2 of the March 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.